You're listening to So Much Pingle, the podcast about herpetology, field herping, and anything and everything about amphibians and reptiles. Join us each week as Mike and his guests explore the amazing world of herps across our planet. And now, bringing a half century of experience and perspective to the microphone, here's your host, Mike Pingleton. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to the show. Mike Pingleton here, and I am your host for these proceedings. And here we go with episode 45, and I hope everyone remains safe and healthy out there. And I want to say thanks for your patience, everyone, as I've fallen uh, a week or so behind schedule. Uh, thanks to some back problems I was having. Uh, I have to say that muscle relaxers and podcasting do not mix, and so everything ground to a halt while I was getting myself back to normal. And I'm uh, I'm really grateful to have the meds that work, uh, but they hit my brain really hard, and so last week was just kind of a, a blur. Now, before we get to our episode, I want to give a shout out to our newest Patreon member, Miles Masterson. Thank you, Miles, for supporting the show. I really appreciate it. And if you're out there listening and would like to kick in a few bucks to help keep the show rolling along, you can do so via Patreon. Uh, go to patreon.com slash so much pingle and so much pingle is all one word. And you can also make one-time contributions via PayPal and Venmo. Uh, just drop me an email to so much pingle at gmail.com for more details on that. So let's get to this week's episode. Now, back in season one, I did two origin story shows and uh, I got a lot of good feedback from folks who enjoyed hearing the various stories. So we're back with another one. Now, three of the four stories here are recordings from the field, uh, which I always enjoy collecting in the field. And so I'm, I mean, collecting stories in the field, right? Uh, so I'm always packing a recorder and some microphones and just in case. And uh, uh, this time I talked with uh, Max Sanchez, uh, Brandon Curtis, and Jeff Dragon while on a recent trip to uh, Mexico, to, to Veracruz. And uh, to round up this episode, it's an interview that I recently recorded with Kyron Leaker. And as always, I got a kick out of talking with all four of these folks. And ostensibly, these interviews are about origins. They're about how people come into their passion for amphibians and reptiles. But uh, there's always more that comes out of these conversations. And, that, and that's the part I really like. And there's, there's always a surprise or two. So, so let's listen to Max, Brandon, and Jeff, and Kyron in that order. Well, hello, everyone, and uh, I'm speaking to you from room 1104 in the uh, Fiesta Inn Aeropuerto in Mexico City. Uh, seem to be doing a lot of these uh, shows from airport hotels these days. So <laughs> I'm here today with Maximiliano Mondroy Sanchez, or as we called him, Max. So welcome to the show, Max. Hey, how is everyone? <laughs> <laughs> it's good to have you on. And yeah, I, pleasure being here. Yeah. Well, well, thanks for coming on the show. And I, I knew I, I wanted to talk to you after I spent uh, how many days? 16, 17 days in the field with yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, Almost. Yeah. Yeah. And in the uh, Veracruz, uh, around Veracruz and Puebla, and I don't know where else we went in Mexico, but uh, <clears throat> you were um, uh, along a part of the crew, but you were also driving the van for us and doing yeah. a lot of uh, interpretation and translation and all kinds of crazy stuff for us. And <laughs> um, all of my counterparts appreciate that. So, But uh, welcome to the show. It's great to talk to you. Yeah, thanks. It's it's great talking to you too and excited about the show. Oh, good, good. <laughs> well, I, 
what I want to ask you for this particular segment is, is uh, and we'll talk some more later about rattlesnakes and things, but uh, yeah. I, I want to know uh, how, uh, how did you get involved in herpetology? What, what did it for you? Uh, well, uh, I think that it goes back uh, when I was like, I don't know, 11 years old maybe, when I started uh, getting involved in, in, in that stuff because, well, my, my mom t- tells me, I don't remember actually, but she tells me that when I went to the, to the store or something with, with her, I w- I, I'll go like picking up all the, all the insects and all the snakes. Well, I live in a, near a, a mountain, so the snakes would come down to my, near to my house. So I, I'll pick them up and ah. play with them and, and chop the, the tail off of of of, of some lizards, Uh-oh. but I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I didn't know about that uh, at that yeah. time. But since yeah. then, I've been really interested in in herpetology. And yeah, when I entered to the university, my thesis advisor was uh, teaching a class called uh, Diversity of Animals, and that's where I, I really got hanged in the herpetology world because he is a, an herpetologist so uh-huh. that that was that was it for me okay yeah. so you already had a film familiarity with amphibians and reptiles but this course of study just deepened it yeah yeah okay yeah i i i've loved them since i was a child so and your parents like your mom your mom's a school teacher yeah my mom's school and your dad teacher. i think was a graphic artist right uh, a graphic designer yeah graphic designer so um so uh, i'm sure your mom probably tolerated uh your adventures because it's a learning experience for you to- yeah yeah at, at some point cuz i i used to carry the snakes i i i found in the in the street i used to to carry him to to the house, so my mom was like, "No," uh, <laughs> and yeah, she just released them when whenever I wasn't looking. But yeah. did your did your mom think that maybe it was time for you to to learn to identify some of these snakes? Because you know, obviously Mexico has a few yeah. uh, venomous <laughs> snakes that uh, you might have to worry about. Yeah, no, I actually I, I haven't thought of that since uh, since I got more involved in the in this world because I used to to grab everything I, I saw so that was uh, dangerous and my mom didn't know it ah, also, so okay. so you come a long way from that yeah <laughs> so in you you live in Mexico City correct yeah I was born in Mexico City I was raised in the state of Mexico and then I studied in Mexico City. Okay. And uh, you are currently in, uh, where are you at in your education right now? I'm about to do my uh, defend of my thesis. Actually, next week I'll be doing that. So in order to become a a biologist. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So instead of staying at home and Study, study. <laughs> and studying your thesis defense, you I'm hopped in a it. van yeah. <laughs> and drove all over, all over eastern, east central Mexico with yeah. us and uh, giving us your time. So I, I'm, I'm amazed at that. So when you, uh, we're here, uh, uh, it's Saturday the 19th and uh, 
you know, June 19th. And so I guess we all leave tomorrow and then you go back to looking at your, your thesis defense. Yeah, because it's the 24th. The, oh my god! The exam. So. How do you? How are you feeling about it? I'm feeling pretty confident. I mean, uh, before this trip, I I practiced a lot, so I just have to keep reading and practicing in these few days that I have left. Okay. But yeah, there are priorities, and <laughs> I love I love being on the field. So, well, I want to say thank, uh, congratulations in advance. Yeah. Uh, and uh, good luck uh, yeah. this coming week with that. Uh, so why don't you tell us a little bit about what your thesis is about? Uh, it's about a, an herpetofaunistical study about uh, in the municipality of Nogales, Veracruz. Okay. It's basically a list of species. And so I, I used to, to go on, on field trips about like, a, they lasted uh, like seven days every two months and I just herp the the whole place looking for snakes, amphibians, lizards. So you're, you're trying to build a biodiversity index for yeah. the area? Yeah, I, okay. I did some biodiversity indexes and uh, some distribution uh, analysis. Okay. And I also did a, a field guide to oh. of the, yeah, of the of the species I, I found there. So. Very good. Is that was that a side project or is that part of the thesis? Too? It's it's like an an annex. Uh, okay. Okay. So and a, like an appendix. Ah, yeah. yeah okay. I, that's the word I was okay. looking for. Yeah, but I also wanted to to print some some cop, some copies and deliver them to the to the locals because yes, they so. don't have any information about what they have in the in that municipality, and so they killed. They they used to kill uh, everything that they saw. Right. And, so it's an education opportunity to educate. Yeah. As well. So very good. Yeah. Very good. And so you've probably had a lot of interactions with uh, people living there. Yeah. And uh, you hear all their stories about I killed this or I saw that. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or these things are, are all the myths involved in in yeah. that. All the myths. Yeah. 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 I I think one of the things that um, I find interesting is. Some of the places we've been, the folks think the the salamanders are poisonous or yeah. deadly or, or or something like that, and I, I wonder how those things come to be, you know. And maybe your field guide will help um, uh, people get over some of those those things. Yeah, it's it's a hard work to to convince people that uh, those animals are aren't dangerous. But yeah, that's uh, uh, the first step. It's letting them know that what they have in that area and that not everything it's it's bad so uh, when you when you did all this survey work did were there surprises did you find things that you didn't expect to find there or uh yeah yeah they they were some surprises some salamanders that uh, i haven't seen before and some uh distribution extents of some species so it okay. they were cool cool findings very good. So, um, as might be, Mexico is a big place, so it's kind of hard yeah. to, to you know, what is everywhere in within Mexico, yeah. you know, because <laughs> uh, some places just don't get surveyed. Uh, this, there's just so much land to, to cover, so much ground to cover. So yeah, to speak, so. especially in the in the regions, in the mountains, in the central mountains of Veracruz, there's a like a hole in the of of survey. 
survey day there. Okay. So, and that's probably because they're the mountains are yeah hard, high, <laughs> steep yeah. and hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, which I can you lived I it. can attest to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we climbed up to, I think the one day we went up to about ten thousand feet. Yeah, kind of. Uh, and the Petal Alcala. Uh, yeah, took um, a number of hours, <laughs> and uh, it was it was kind of tough. Uh, yeah. <laughs> had a hard time breathing up there. So yeah, so I kind of I understand why there's maybe a distribution gap or or very thin information. Yeah, from it's those very kinds. thin. I mean, in the last years, they it's been uh, it's been growing the the number of studies that are made there. But yeah, before there there was uh, nothing. It was a gap, like you said. All right, and and so. You want to continue with this kind of work? Is that you like the field work, right? Yeah, I love the field work. Yeah. Okay, so maybe you've got some more um, biodiversity surveys in your future. You think? Uh, I hope so. I also want to try some uh, something with systemat with molecular systematics. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I think for my masters, I'm gonna be doing doing a project of that kind, and then afterwards we'll see what what okay. happens but so yeah. do you plan on working on your masters here locally or yeah in, here okay. in the in mexico city okay. i already have a thesis ad advisor so oh, i wow. just have to do the exam and and okay. yeah that's so it. you kind of got your your path plotted for you yeah at least that at for a while uh, yeah for for the masters at least yeah okay well it's good it's good to have you have an advisor already and yeah and so uh, you kind of know what what you're going to be doing, where yeah. you, where you're going to be going, and that kind of thing. Yeah, already working on on the project. So, yes, and uh, and we um, you collected some some tissue samples during our trip. Yeah, um, for that for some of those projects, correct? Uh, yeah. Well, uh, we use we use we're gonna use uh, some of those for keeping them in the museum in the collection. And whenever someone wants to work with with those with those specimens of that locality localities, they don't have to to collect them anymore because we've already done the work for them. Right. So they just have to use the the data we have. And okay, and yeah, yeah, that's how we collaborate. And yet, some of them are used by by us in our lab in our lab to to our specific projects. Okay. Uh, and we should mention that what I was talking about were animals hit by cars or something. We're not, oh, yeah. We were just, in particular, one uh, a dead uh, whittail was on the side of the road. Oh, which, yeah. <laughs> uh, which I thought, well, that's sad. But at the same time, you're like, hey, I, I can take these back and, and make use of these. And so uh, even a dead whittail can, can, uh, yeah, that, can help science out. So. That's that's the whole point, to to use all the information we can to extract all the information we can of those individuals and if they're already dead they they don't go to waste i yeah. mean they they go to a collection and well, they have an opportunity to, to be used yeah that's more than once right yeah that's data i mean you you can yeah. use it in in several projects it sounds like the, the all the survey work you've done it's just the thing you want to do it so it's a lot of fun just it's it's really herping with a purpose yeah you know? <laughs> um so it's a lot of fun do you have like a local crew that you go out with sometimes or? no no i i actually was thinking about that when when i met you guys because uh here in mexico you don't get to see a lot of of airping groups getting okay. together to uh -huh. 
to do field trips and stuff like that. They just uh, like uh, have a project and commit to that project and they do the field work uh -huh. of that project. I mean, okay. they don't they don't go beyond the I see. the projects they are working on. So okay, well maybe you can uh, work on that a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking of it because it's real really fun and you you get to have a a lot of information that you weren't looking for. So yeah, it's really cool that. Yeah. That thing. So you kind of liked how how the, the large group of us came in and uh, and uh, moved around and and found all kinds of cool stuff. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was I was telling I don't know who I was telling but I think that you guys have uh, have more information about the species that we have in Mexico than that the Me than the Mexicans cuz like I said we only uh, focus on on some on some species and that's right. it we don't uh, yeah well we some of us some of us are serious students yeah. of Mexican herpetofauna <laughs> <laughs> so yeah um, people uh, make serious study of the of the organisms they hope to see yeah in the field and uh, on your, on our trip with uh, you was there anything that stood out in your mind as far as cuz we found uh about i think 74 or 75 different yeah lots lots of species so was there anything in that group that really stood out for you i think that the istmura gigantea the salamander the, the ah. giant salamander i'm still having a, i'm still trying to say that properly it's it, is, ismura 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 gigantea gigantea yeah or as i say in the estados unidos gigantea gigantea yeah. okay Um, yeah, and and so had you had prior experience with those in the field? Uh, I I've only found one, and it was not from that species. It was is belly, but it was not as big as the one we okay. found. So it was really amazing to see that yeah. that individual as big as, as so it I, was. For those listening to the show, I'm 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 gonna have to post a picture of Ismore. I've yeah. Typically, when I take pictures of salamanders yeah i don't put them in my hand <laughs> right I, i put them in a natural setting and i take their picture and mm -hmm. and try to make do the best i can to make them look natural uh but with ismura Gigante. gigantia <laughs> i i had to put it do a what we call a hand shot Um, because it was not just a hand shot it was a hand and forearm shot. yeah because we're talking a salamander <laughs> that's was probably 10, 11 inches in length? Yeah, I maybe. think so. It was really big. Really big salamander. So, so I'll have to remember to post that uh, <laughs> to, in the show notes or something because it was an incredible find. And, yeah. and uh, I think like you, it just kind of blew me away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's amazing seeing those, those yeah. animals. And it's not a uh, very fast salamander either no. it, it moves like a like a tree sloth yeah uh, sort of yeah and, and and they're they are uh pretty uncommon i mean you can find them but it takes hard work to to find them because you need to flip and uh flip a lot of uh tree trunks so yeah and the salamander was it was at a high altitude yeah at night and it was pouring rain Yeah. Uh, not just sprinkling. It was pouring <laughs> rain. And some of our group put on their rain gear yeah. and went out and <laughs> and found these things. Yeah, and, they, uh, uh, you know, that's what you got to do sometimes. Yeah, their hard, hard work pays, 
paid off. Yeah. So. Yeah. It was cold and rainy. It was miserable up there. <laughs> <laughs> but it was very cool to see one of those. So. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's worth it, definitely. Do you have a, a preference, amphibians over reptiles? or? Uh, I think I like m reptiles yeah. more, but yeah, I, I also... Uh, I'm always amazed by the salamanders. Mm -hmm. Not 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 so much by the frogs, but salamanders. I think. Well, I'll forgive you for that, but uh, <laughs> I'm a frog guy. Um, but I'm sure that there are other things waiting to be found out there, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm yeah. sure there are mountains in uh, Veracruz that have not been surveyed. Yeah. Maybe you'll get to survey them, and maybe you'll you'll come Hopefully. up with some some new uh, organisms that yeah, cause, new to science, right? Because that that specific zone area it's uh it's characteristic characteristics yeah, yeah but by he by its uh endemism endemisms so yeah. there are a lot of species that you can only find in one mountain or in that area so it's a really cool area to to herp in so so when you go on in these surveys so you, do you have a little car you drive around or how do you how do you get around to do this yeah thing? when i did my my field trips for my thesis i used my car actually okay because <laughs> yeah and i i drove all the way from mexico city to veracruz in my car and that's how i okay i moved in the in so the i uh, i'm thinking about the day we uh, got in the back of a coffee truck Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we left our vehicles and got into the back of a, a truck that was used to, to bring coffee down the mountain. Mm -hmm. And we went up and it was uh, poor, it was raining and yeah. uh, very difficult uh, road. And uh, uh, that so that was kind of a new experience for you as well. Yeah, it was new for me as well because I haven't been in one of those. <laughs> so... It was cool. I mean, I I'm used to to the to all the bumps and all the movement in the trucks of Mexico City, but nothing like not like in the back of a truck, coffee I, truck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was a that was an interesting ride up, and then riding back, it was even maybe even a little more. Yeah, uh, we call it sketchy. Yeah, all <laughs> of us were nervous. Yeah, and stressed and about what around. would happen. Yeah, yeah. So it was a very interesting experience. So that's something else we bring to the table for you. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but well, I mean, uh, in order to find those cool species, you need to you need to do all kinds of things to to get to them. So yeah, I mean, I think it's it's worth the the ride and the and the hikes. Yeah, and the hikes yeah. and the rain and. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to see cool stuff, you need to pay for them. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta. You gotta pay the price. Yeah. Right? And I was. I knew it'd be a cooler kind of trip in this part of Mexico, but I didn't realize that I would have days where I was just downright chilly. If the sun wasn't out, it got kind of chilly up there. Yeah. And I wasn't quite prepared for that. But no, it's it's windy up there. Yeah. So. Yeah. The the wind it's really cold. And it gets to your bones, so... Yeah. Yeah, you can get chilled pretty quick up there. And, yeah. of course, you know, when you get about 10,000 feet, I'm gasping like a fish yeah. <laughs> out of water, you know, trying to trying to breathe. So that was quite an experience. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. And and it, I think um, <clears throat> one of the other things I noticed is that the, the local folks, and maybe you can speak to this a little bit, but the local folks, wherever we're at and wherever we're poking around in bushes and and things are walking on trails and the local folks are like 
hey, how's it going? Yeah. And um, if we tell them what we're, they're doing, they're like, uh, they say things like, oh, okay, that's very good. You know? <laughs> and it, they don't seem to be um, too upset or uh, amazed at what they're like, yeah. okay, well, somebody's, you know, <laughs> sure, they're looking for rattlesnakes. Good for them. It, it, that seemed like a different attitude. Yeah, but places. Uh, it's it's weird because uh, I think it depends uh, on the state or in the in the place where you at in Mexico. So in Veracruz, they uh, the the people there it's so uh, like uh, it's friendly. I mean, they they yeah. they're friendly and they and they let you in to to their lands and and all that stuff by not asking a lot of questions. Yeah, they. They are cool. They are cool with the with the biologist, f from my experience. That's very good. Yeah, so that you don't have to work hard to get doors open, so to speak. Yeah, no. Yeah, I mean, you just have to ask for permission, and mm -hmm. if you ask nicely, they'll they'll give it to you. Yeah, yeah, because they they can even tell you where the where the rattlesnakes are and ah, yeah. where they have seen that. But, do they do they tell you a lot of stories? Yeah, a lot of stories. Uh about the uh, I don't know the abronias, the Yeah. The scorpion oh, lizards. The green alligator lizards. Yeah. yeah. They they think that they are they cause cancer or all kinds of stuff or of diseases. Really? Yeah, I, I mean they they don't only think that they are venomous, but they also think that they can transmit diseases like cancer. Oh my god! So, yeah, it's uh, I don't know where where those stories came from, but they are messed yeah, up. Yeah, that that's it's one thing to hear a, a sto story, but you wonder how they got started and yeah, what uh, knucklehead started that story. <laughs> <laughs> but while we're on the subject of stories and getting told stories, uh, we were in Puebla. Yeah. Uh, down in Zapot Zapotitlan. Zapotitlan. Did I say it right? Yeah. Zapotitlan. <laughs> uh, and uh, we uh, went out with a local guy. For, he's one of the indigenous peoples, mm. I think. And uh, he told us an interesting story about oh, yeah. the horned lizard yeah. and and the and uh, tortillas. Do you, yeah. Would you care to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, what... What he told us is that uh, they use the phrenosomas. Well, in in the ancient culture of that place, uh, the phrenosomas were like carriers of wisdom because they are near to the ground. So uh, when you pick them up, they they transmit you like the the wisdomness. Or, I see. So they, because they're close to the ground, they know a lot. They yeah, have knowledge of the earth and yeah, because they thought that the land. They think that the earth has all the wisdom in it, and the Phrynosomas being close to to it, they must uh, transmit it or, or or something like that. Okay. So they they respect the the Phrynosomas for that, and also uh, it's like a tradition or something like that that when a girl. Uh, it's ready to get married. He, she must learn how to make tortillas, and because of the, because of the masa. How do you say masa? Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, that the, thing. The stuff it, you make tortillas. Yeah, the, it's hot. You have to change to one hand 
from one hand from one hand to another repeatedly right while you're flat while you're flattening it out right yeah yeah so they to train those girls they use a frenosoma a, a spiny lizard because its spikes are pointy so okay. the girls have to have to do that that movement of uh, af, as if they were uh making a tortilla from the masa it, yeah okay uh with but they're holding a horn lizard yeah and the goal is not not to be too hard yeah right you have to learn to be gentle yeah but still make the make the tortilla right because yeah. if you're too hard you get poked yeah by the phrenosoma yeah that's and you don't want to poke the phrenosoma <laughs> no. or get poked by that because <laughs> it's the keeper of all of the earth's yeah knowledge so. yeah so it, it's like a, a transmission of knowledge from the tree from this frenosoma to to the girls and they they teach them how to make tortillas so that's that's cool. amazing story yeah <laughs> so that, that's a story that goes back many yeah. many years yeah right? many so many years back. We, we we would call it local folklore yeah right um it was just interesting to hear i don't i don't remember the gentleman's name um uh, i don't remember uh, it either Began with an A, but I don't remember <laughs> uh, because we met so many people on our journey. But it was interesting to hear him just very proudly, yeah, speak telling of, of the, this story. The story, yeah, and um, it was just kind of an extra element to what we do. You know, it's one thing to find out. You know, we find this horn yeah. lizard. Oh, this cool is a, then. Yeah, and this is Phrynosoma uh, taurus. Taurus, yeah. yeah. Uh, which was very cool. None of it, none of us had seen that before. Uh, so it's a new horn lizard. It's, it's it's great. Oh, new horn lizard! Everybody gets around <laughs> and we take a picture of it, and it holds its head up, and it's cute, and it's you know spiky, and it, it's just great. But this guy's telling us this story, yeah, th that the local people have, and it's just attached to the whole experience now. So yeah, we'll never you, think about that lizard without thinking about that story. Yeah, and you you got a plus of information about it so it's not just only the scientific information but the the folklore as you as you called right. it yeah and and um I'm, I'm so sorry i can't remember his name <laughs> uh he also kind of told us you know more about the habits of the that particular frinosoma and things i wouldn't have thought of in, in terms of its you know where it, where it hangs out and its activity when it's active and that sort of thing so that was that was helpful too so. yeah Yeah, I mean, usually the 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 locals uh, know a lot of stuff about the natural history of the animals they have around their their houses, because they they learn how to use them and it's on on their favor. So they watch them and they watch them for years and learn about them for years. Well, they're watching all the all of the animals. Yeah, right. yeah. So it's worth your time. It, for, uh, to listen to the stories and, yeah of course and, uh, pay attention to what the local people yeah. tell you i mean there's also uh like um i don't know like a loss of information because the look some of the locals tend to to invent some some stories or some information about the animals but mostly what they say it's true so i think it's worth uh listening to them mm -hmm. And maybe you'll listen with that kind of story. Maybe you're thinking, I should pay more attention to what yeah. they're telling me. Yeah. Very good. Well, I want to thank you for coming on the show and, and talking to us. And uh, it's been great to get to know you. 
Yeah. Uh, you're a very good van driver. <laughs> and uh, No accidents reported. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, none reported, nothing serious, So, uh, which is pretty good considering uh, we had some difficulties. We had one road we could not get, get up because it was very slippery. Yeah. Very muddy and very slippery. And <laughs> we did eventually get it up, though, but so he has some local people uh, throwing like uh, powder cement to, it was yeah uh, cement uh, mortar to, to dry the yeah yeah so that helped us but uh, uh otherwise uh, you did a fantastic job of driving us around and uh helping us identify <laughs> uh i think i only have like two animals that Needs we couldn't identify so yeah. but we'll get there yeah uh, everything else i think we <laughs> we know what they are so it was a successful trip and i was just happy to get to know you and yeah and, uh, I, i'm happy to to get to know you so hopefully in the future i'll, I'll see you again down here yeah i hope so yeah, yeah. and uh, of course i'm gonna keep track of your thesis defense and your future work in the field so. <laughs> yeah i'll let you know how how that goes okay well, very good thanks again max <laughs> now thank you All for right. inviting me well hello everyone uh i am speaking to you from a purple hotel room on the side of a mountain. We're at about 5,500 feet. Uh, we are near the town and the volcano known as Orizaba, and that's in Veracruz, Mexico. Uh, I have a couple of guests that uh, I want to introduce. The first is Brandon Curtis. Brandon. Hello. And Jeff Dragon is sitting radio left. Hello. Nice to see you guys here. So, some of the other fellows have been on the sh that have, are on this herp trip with us, uh, and we are on a herp trip. I have been on the show uh, before, but you guys have not, and so I was like, my you know, my greedy little mind is like, oh, fresh meat for <laughs> for for the show. So, but uh, what I'd like to do, I'd like to start off and, and get your origin story. So I'd like to uh, hear from you how you got involved in amphibians and reptiles, and what was what was the trigger for you and and. And uh, where, tell me a little bit about where you live and, and that kind of thing and give the, give the folks some background on you. We'll start with you, Brandon. Okay. So my name is Brandon Curtis. I'm from Southern New Jersey and uh, I can't really remember exactly when the, the, the exact moment I became interested in reptiles and amphibians. Um, I just remember at a very early age being in my yard, flipping rocks, flipping logs, looking for whatever's underneath there, just just out of curiosity, mostly bugs. And um, my dad coined me the bug boy. <laughs> <laughs> so I was the bug boy. And then at some point, I learned about there's reptiles and amphibians you can also find in a similar fashion. Um, like many other people, I grew up uh, watching Jeff Corwin, uh, Steve Irwin, the crocodile hunter, and I just started to replicate <laughs> what they were doing, going out into the woods, looking for snakes, looking for turtles, looking for frogs. And, and so, and so, did you have a clue of how to do it, or did you just sort of go out and try to make it happen? I think I just went out and try and just made it happen. What's out here? What was the first herp you remember finding? It must have been a Fowler's toad because oh, we had wow. we had plenty plenty of Fowler's toads in the neighborhood. So it had to have been Fowler's toads. Good. And I, I remember it was an exciting trip to go to the pool at my father's friend's house because I knew he had Fowler's toads in the yard. Oh, yeah. And I knew we were going to find them. That New Jersey has some nice looking Fowler toads too. Yeah. Very yeah, good. we do. And so you've just kept on from, from then, right? That's it. And um, in sixth grade, 
we used to have, what was it called? I think it was like field day or something where we were forced to go to the local park. We all picked a study plot and we had to record observations. Oh, um, yeah. There was there was like a time where, all right, everything's quiet for 20 minutes. What do you hear? Write it down. Oh, yes. I'm... I'm f- I have three daughters, so I'm familiar with that that thing. Yeah, and then it was, um, you know, what do you what do you say physically? Write it down, and I just got lucky, and there were six snakes at my earth plot. What? <laughs> <laughs> and I think at the time I was pretty sure they were rough green snakes, but it was so long ago, I'm not exactly sure. Wow. And uh, I remember there was a large adult water snake, and everybody was crowding around it. This wasn't at my earth plot; this was nearby, but it caused the it caused the scene and. Everybody left their earth plots and went to look at the snake. And it was this probably like three, three and a half foot water snake. And that was my first experience. Everybody's chiming in saying what it is. That's a diamondback rattlesnake. That's a, <laughs> that's a water moccasin. So that was, yeah, I must have been 12 at that wow. time. And, you know, from there, it's all history. <laughs> so were you, you that kid in school when you got the, the kids with, they think you were weird or anything because you like snakes and... Herbs, or were there other kids who were into that kind of thing? If there were in sixth grade or seventh or eighth grade, I probably didn't notice. I think I started to notice that in high school. Like, why are you going out in the woods looking for frogs? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, well, you know, the, the folks that are listening to this are they're very sympathetic and they completely understand. Yeah. You know, they're all like, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, no worries there. Um, yeah, and my sixth grade teacher, Mr. Stroop, he was very supportive. Um, he had corn snake sheds in the classroom. He let me, uh, well, anybody in the classroom was free to look at. But he gave me my first field guide. He gave me the uh, Roger Conant's Peterson's field guide. Nice. So I still have that. I've yeah. got like duct tape on it and it's <laughs> pages and chapters or sections are falling apart. So Yeah, but that's a, that's a special book, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Very good. I think I took a marker and wrote the uh, the title on the side of the book. So, very good. Uh, and so, this isn't your profession, though. You're not a biologist. No, not so. professional. Yeah. Okay. And you yeah. you got a family, and uh, you try to get out and herp on the weekends and as much as possible. That sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. Very good. Yeah. And uh, as far as we're going to get into where we're at in a little bit here, but. Uh, You've done a lot of herping around uh, New Jersey and the surrounding states? or Yeah, primarily my focus has been New Jersey. I still currently live in New Jersey. So I'm kind of hyper-focused. Uh, my, myself and my group of friends were hyper-focused on reptiles and amphibians in the state of New Jersey. But it's nice to go to other places and gain a different perspective. Part of That's part of what we're doing on this trip. Like I like the idea of, okay, we like the Carolinas. We like the coastal plain. Just keep going down. What's there? <laughs> Just keep going south. Yeah. yeah. Are there, so, is there a large group of herpers in the, in your area, in New Jersey? Do you, I think there's more than we're aware of. Yeah. Okay. I think there's a lot more people interested, especially nowadays, in, yeah. in herpetology and field herping. Well, I had the opportunity to come out to New Jersey last May and, and hang out with you all a bit and... Uh, Wow, it's a great place. It's a great place to go herping. Holy cow. I was uh, surprised how much how much land is set aside as natural area or a, not wilderness, but uh, protected land and, you know, not just state parks, but uh, national, yeah, that's it, national preserve. So, yeah, so you got a good place to uh, cut your herping teeth, is it, as it were. Yeah, so. and it's kind of like there's, I almost feel like there's so much to do just in the southern part of the state. 
Yeah. That it's hard to make time to do herpetologically related things in other parts of the country. Like you could really get hyper focused on, you know, yeah. just one specific species. Or, yeah. Well, I can't wait to go back. I had such a good time there, and it was. I'm so glad much, you did so much to see, and it was just oh, it's just it's just a cool place to be. So it was. I was really surprised. I had I had no preconceived notions of what New Jersey was going to be like. So it was, I'm it glad. Was very cool. Well, this show we have a, a origin story twofer, and now if you would hand the mic over to Jeff, we'll we'll hear what uh, he has to say. Hello, folks. My name is Jeff Dragon. I wear two hats. I'm a herpetologist for the state of New Jersey. I work for the Pinelands Commission which oversees all regulation of the Pinelands National Reserve. And I work within the science department, and we are currently doing multiple herpetological studies. And in addition to that, I'm also a field herper, which I was prior to doing this professionally. I followed the path that a lot of people hope to, of going from being a passionate field herper, going to school for it, and becoming a herpetologist. Uh, Like Brandon, I've grown up in South Jersey, and the Pine Barrens and the herps of South Jersey is what really got me into this. it all started basically for me. My parents would help rescue box turtles crossing the road. So I grew up in Gloucester County, New Jersey, which is just on the fringe of the Pine Barrens, kind of the outer coastal plain. There's a lot of box turtles growing up. And I think I'm kind of a product of when I grew up and where I grew up. If any of those were changed, I'm not sure I would end up being into this the way I am. So Gloucester County was very rural growing up, a lot of farmland, a lot of forest. And throughout the 90s, it was heavily developed. It's only about 20 minutes east of Philadelphia. So as suburban sprawl spread from the city into South Jersey, we used to save the, the box turtles would be fleeing areas that are being developed. So we used to rescue them. And uh, before we knew it much better about home ranges and things like that, we would keep a couple of them for the summer and release them sure. at the end of the year. Um, and that really got me into it. We had names for them, we'd feed them. And I'd really, that's kind of the first feeling I think that herpers have being excited about seeing a herp in the wild. It's seeing that boxer on the road, my mom and dad would pull over potentially put us at risk of being rear-ended yeah. to save turtles crossing the road. And that was very exciting. We, we'd always be like, oh my God, there's a box turtle. And there's kind of this lag time where a couple of years went by as I started to get into my teenage years. And I realized, hey, I haven't seen any many box turtles, if any, in a couple of years. That doesn't seem right. And right then I kind of knew something was wrong with the environment to go from seeing so many box turtles all the time to none. And that's when I started to kind of question and, and want to pursue this and learn more about it. And also the pursuit of trying to find more rare herps like we like to do. I also had, would have a field guide as a kid and I would look at all the turtle and snake species in my area and wonder, hey, I've never seen a spotted turtle. I've never seen a bog turtle. They're supposed to occur here. And that was kind of the first experience I had herping. My dad would drive me out in Pine Barrens and try to find spotted turtles. And that chase, and when I remember when I saw my first one, I jumped into the water and grabbed it. And I remember first two after that and it was just such an exciting experience to see this animal that i didn't quite understand yet habitat preference and i saw oh my god this turtle i saw in my field guy my whole life growing up i finally found it so then as i got older i went to school for environmental studies and i was again kind of at the right place at the right time i did a semester program down in virginia with george mason university and the smithsonian conservation biology institute in front royal it was a whole semester program to learn about conservation biology and the first day we had to have a picture of ourselves that described why we got into this. And I pictured me holding a red belly cooter from South Jersey. And I just told the story I just told you guys. As soon as I was done, my associate director pulled me inside and said, Jeff, you need to email this guy, Tom Mockery. He's coming here to do wood turtle research. And I still never seen a wood turtle. That was still one of the things I really want to find. 
And I thought, oh my God, that's one of my favorite animals. And so I went and emailed him, make a long story short, became his intern for that summer, worked as hard as I could, as passionate as I could be, ended up becoming his grad student. I did my thesis work on wood turtles. And in that time is when I would return to South Jersey, I realized how much I really loved South Jersey. Being away from it actually gave me a perspective of how much I loved it. Uh-huh. And then those summers when I would come home from the internship in grad school, I would look for pine snakes and corn snakes. And that really got me into to the Pine Barren specifically. And that's how I met Brandon and my other friends that do this. And, um, you know, I've been on the field herb forum since 2009, 10. That's when I first kind of realized it was a hobby um, and a name for it. We just call it turtle hunting. And <laughs> us as a group just go out and go to Carolinas. Like Brandon said, we do a trip every year to Florida, been to Arizona, um, Colorado, the whole Northeast. And, um, we finally decided to, uh, make the spring to do an international trip. And here we are. Here you are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to stop this here. We're going to pick it up in just a minute. I just noticed that my battery is about to die on this thing. So I'm going to switch batteries. So I'm going to go ahead and stop this recording and then we'll start a new one and then I'll splice them together. Okay. So I understand that you have a field day story as well. I do. I do. I, um, I was part of a science program in elementary school and I had to come up with a science project and I was typically pretty bad at it. And I had the idea we had, as I mentioned, the pet box girls that we would save. Um, this was actually a hatchling that our turtles laid eggs in our pen that we had. And this one hatched out, we called it piglet, ate everything. Um, so I decided to do the differences between a land and a water turtle. So I had, I would have a tank set up to display both of them. This was probably um, mid-March to April. No problem with the box turtle. However, I didn't have an aquatic turtle to compare. So <laughs> I made it my duty to try to catch one. And I lived at the end of our cul-de-sac was a lake. So I'd go down there every day and there'd be a peanut turtle that was actually basking on the, the land, not out on the log or anything. I think it was three or four days in a row. I tried to catch it. It was there every day and it would take off. Finally, the last day, there was only a day or two before the, the science fair. I gave it all I had and I ran at full speed and dove and grabbed it. And um, then it actually got loose that night. Our cats, we went to visit my mom's friend and the cats knocked it over. And then I woke to my mom screaming a couple days later because it was in her closet. But, uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I got it just in time and was able to do the, my, my science project of showing the differences between a aquatic turtle and a terrestrial turtle. Was uh, one of the differences also that uh, box turtles are easier to catch or terrestrial <laughs> turtles are easier to catch as opposed to... Uh, driven to desperation, yeah. making diving leaps. Yep. yep. <laughs> I, I think it led to a lot of that, you know, chasing uh, these hard to catch things. And Do you, know. you still dive in after turtles? I sure do. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I dive in after spotted turtles and any yeah. other turtles I can get my hands on. Very good. And Brandon, I was with you uh, when we, uh, when I got my uh, lifer red belly turtle and I can't remember the place where we were at and that's not important, but it was fun. We went to some park with a, uh, they were hanging out and, uh, there's nothing like a park to find turtles because they, you know, they're wary, but they're not flipping off the log as soon as you poke your head up above the bushes or something. So it was a great place to, to see a number of those. Yeah. That that's actually the place I was referring to with the earth plots. Oh, really? That's the okay. park that we, we did that in. Very and that's good. also the town I went to school in or school at. Um, yeah, that's a great turtle park. And I was surprised yeah. to hear that you guys were, were going there because nobody knows about that park unless you're oh, from the area. I see. Okay. But yeah, that's a great turtle park. Well, I've learned a while back that that's if you want to find turtles in some place you've never been before, scope out the parks because 
the turtles are much friendlier or much what would you call it they, they're just kind of look over at you and go oh there's yeah another. they're acclimated to seeing people yeah every day so you can get good looks and good photos and things like that well let's shift gears now so here we are uh, like i said we're in our purple hotel room it's perched on the side of a mountain in uh mexico in the state of veracruz and uh, you guys came down together and you're part of the we have a bigger group here and we're uh, moving around Veracruz, going from place to place. And uh, so this is your first trip uh, out of the country, your first herping trip out of the country. And uh, why don't you guys tell us a, a, a little bit about your experiences. And Brandon, you're holding the microphone. So let's start it off with you. And uh, well, what's your, how's it been for you? I've got no complaints. <laughs> I've got no complaints. Um, you know, I kind of feel like I'm in the Head Start program of coming to Mexico. Everything's being taken care of. <laughs> you know i just had to book a flight get a rental car follow you guys around go to the herping spots and just put in the work and uh it's been great i don't have any complaints did it does it it feels it's got to feel a lot different because we've been herping up in the mountains primarily yeah i didn't think i'd be getting as much exercise i thought we'd be road cruising more um, but that's that's okay it's, and and in your mind's eye i mean we're in this verdant lush place uh, uh we were high enough that uh we ate dinner tonight in, uh, uh, in the clouds really they have an open air place where we were eating and uh you know the clouds are just kind of passing through which is kind of they weird just come experience. in head on yeah yeah and so i this is probably not what was in your mind's eye when it's like oh let's go with these guys to mexico and you, in your mind's eye is probably some other environment yeah, probably thinking the worst case scenario oh type situations yeah. yeah and of course uh, and I've done enough other other shows that folks understand that, you know, there are places you probably shouldn't go in Mexico, but there are plenty of great places uh, to go. As we talked with JJ about that, and we did a, a Mexico roundtable a while back, and uh, oh, talked about it then too. And there's this is one of those places that's pretty safe, and uh, people are friendly, and and so on and so forth. So. Yeah, I don't think I've felt sketched out. Maybe in Mexico City, the first driving experience. Uh, six o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday probably wasn't the best idea. <laughs> I would be worried if you weren't sketched out by that. I think because that's that was a challenge. I think sure. it was tough. It was tough getting out of town when we when we headed out and started making our way. Uh, well, how about you, Jeff? What's what's your experience like? Well, this has been kind of a double whammy because this is my first international trip period and my first herping trip out of the country. So it's a lot of just experiencing the culture and all those little things, language barriers, in addition to the habitat and landscapes and trying to find herbs in a setting like this. So it's kind of overcoming both those at the same time. And it's amazing. It's just everything is kind of like a shock to the senses to experience all this at once. Um, it's been a dream of mine to do a trip like this. And uh, yeah, like Brand said, it's been very hardcore. A lot of hiking. I feel like I'm getting in the best shape I've been in. We live at... Uh, you know, under 200 feet elevation. <laughs> and yeah. we've been going through some, some very steep landscapes up and down all day. You guys are very hardcore. <laughs> I'm struggling <laughs> to, to keep up. And I think one of the things that, that really blows my mind is how well planned this trip is and how great of a job you guys did coordinating this. Um, I figured it, it would go fine. You know, we, we plan trips to Florida. I, I've been on domestic trips that don't go as smooth as this has been. You guys and, and Tim are amazing at setting this all up, hitting our targets. 
like Brandon said, this is the Head Start program. We just had to show up, follow you guys around. And um, that was great for kind of holding our hand to introduce us into this type of thing. And, you know, I just met Tim and you guys this summer. And right after that, he started messaging me and said, you got to come to Veracruz. It's going to be the Super Bowl of herping and was sending us pictures of all the species because I, I didn't even really know what species to expect or anything. And he's just been hyping it up that whole time. And I said, I, we can't miss this opportunity. This is it's it, the logistics of traveling internationally, especially herping can be very overwhelming. It's enough just to research Google Earth scouting, figure out what species are around in a state that's a couple, just a couple states away, let alone going to a completely different country, learning how to rent a car, getting pet, learning where to stay. So it was great to introduce us to this by this type of trip and how well coordinated it all was by you guys. Well, well said. Well said. Uh, when you do go to Arizona, you've got a you've got a plan, mm-hmm. and you got to know what's out there and where where they where those things are at or where you might expect them to be. And it's it's kind of the same thing. But uh, the thing about international travel is is you have to or you learn along the way. You learn many things, and one of the things you learn is may not go the way you want. Mm-hmm. You may be stuck in traffic in Mexico City for hours on end. Uh, or in the case where we're at, you know, uh, it's rained two evenings in a row. And uh, drop, temperatures dropped down into the upper 40s, I believe, last night. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so what do you do? Well, the hunt for the pit viper didn't happen. So everybody kind of suited up and went out and looked for salamanders. So, and we, uh, we did well. Yeah, so we got multiple species. We got Why don't you tell us about that a little bit? Yeah, so we were hoping to go out and look for the pit vipers, and um, we went out. It, it, we're in a cloud forest right now, so it was very moist. It just finished raining, and uh, we got two different species of salamander, including the the giant. I'm not sure the genus and species name. Ithmira. I T H I T C. I can't. I remember. It's Ithmira gigant. Mm-hmm. gigantia or yeah. something like that giant robust salamander it makes a tiger salamander look like a redback <laughs> yes yes <laughs> and it was it's just mind-blowing to see something like that in this environment um it was very cool to see the ability for us to adapt to whatever the the climate gives us and um i think we're in an area that just has so much biodiversity that we can pivot like that um just the weekend before this trip brandon and i went to the mountains of virginia in hopes of um finding timber rattlesnakes and copperheads and it just anyone in the east coast remember memorial day weekend this year last weekend two weekends ago it was terrible weather yes 60s and we we couldn't barely scrounge up anything so it's cool to be in an area this lush and this biodiverse and and be able just to pivot to salamanders if snakes aren't working for us right and if we can't get the snakes uh we can't get the salamanders we Sit in a whole ro- hotel room and we record a podcast. So. Yeah, food's great. Every all the other we've been playing foosball in a in a cloud forest for the past hour before dinner. Yeah, the hotel doesn't have much. There's no towels. <laughs> uh, there's no hot water, mm-hmm. but there's a foosball table. So <laughs> yeah, yes. So. Well, Bra- uh, Brandon, why don't you tell us a little bit about? Uh, do you have Do you have targets, or was there something you wanted to see, or? Were there things you were surprised that we found on this trip? No, I, I didn't come in with targets. I just tried to familiarize myself with the snake species in the area. So if I seen one, I at least knew kind of what, what I was looking at. And if it was okay to to just grab or if I had to use a snake hook or something like that. Right. Um, but no, no targets. I've been very happy with everything we've been finding. Um, Crotalus ravis might be 
one of my favorites so far. Uh, it's got a pitupus head. I don't know if I'm saying that right. It's got oh, like pituophis. a pituophis yeah. head. Yeah. yeah. And um, everybody in the group thought the same thing from the side profile. It yeah, looks like a, I thought like a that like, before anybody said anything, and I, everyone had the same thing going on in in their mind. It's yeah. got a pituophis head. Yeah. So. And so, is, is, did you have a favorite? Fine. Was that one of your favorites, or that was one of my favorites? It's hard to pick right now. I mean, one of my favorites besides that one was probably the the first snake I've ever found in Mexico, cat-eyed snake. Okay. It only took me five days. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it would be much easier than that. We're finding a lot of stuff, but it's a lot harder than I thought it would be. It is, but when you when you have a big group, you have lots of eyeballs, so yeah. you may not find all the things. But you might find one thing, and then tomorrow it's Jeff's day, and yep. um, even even I got a snake. Even I found a snake on which, this trip. Which snake did you find? I got. Yeah. I found one of the uh, Crotalus triceriatus. So okay, all by myself. I was so happy. So everybody kind of gets a turn at something, you know. Uh, but it, I, I like the idea that you have a lot of people looking, and you kind of know what species, like you say, you kind of know what species you're looking for. So. Uh, those two t- things together make uh, a big difference, and then the rest of it's all trail time. You gotta, you gotta be out there. You gotta be out there walking and looking, and you won't find them sitting in here in the purple hole hotel room. Yeah, so. don't give up. <laughs> yeah, don't beat yourself up. You'll find one eventually. Yeah. What do you think of the food? Excellent, excellente. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's great. I was getting myself hyped up uh, before the trip, trying out different Mexican restaurants back home. Um, Hamilton, pretty close by to where I live is the blueberry capital of the world. And, um, a lot of Mexicans live there and there's a lot of, uh, restaurants and mm-hmm. businesses. So now I have something to compare to. I yeah. can, I can go back and, and, uh, have some kind of reference point. Yeah. Well, you've had, uh, some great soup and some, uh, abundagas and, uh, uh, tamales and, uh, quesadillas and tacos and I don't know what all we've had. So. And it's kind of funny, and uh, the fact that the locals all assume that we, you know, the people at the hotels, they all assume we want Ma- American food. You know. I know. Uh, <laughs> you know, the one night, would you, would Pasta, you all like hot dogs? Pizza. <laughs> yeah, pizza. No, we want, like, we want quesadillas and tacos. <laughs> yeah, we want the stuff you guys want, and you, you, they probably want the stuff that we eat. So, you know, it's kind of funny. Yeah, and uh, as far now, you guys are going to head home or head back to Mexico City. Tomorrow, right? Saturday. Saturday. Okay. So you have to go back home a little early and, and leave the group. But uh, Unfortunately. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure you're sad to leave. But uh, I think, uh, you know, we've got close to close to 40 species so far into the trip. So um, that's got to be exciting for you all. Yeah. That's yeah. a lot. Jeff, do you have anything that's to like, add to that? That's like, what, a quarter of the species down here? Um, maybe a fifth? There's like... Over 200. I don't remember the exact count, but there's quite a few. Yeah. So like Brandon, I didn't really come in with expectations. I briefly researched the species list. We had a nice itinerary that Tim made. So I kind of knew what to expect in each area. Um, I just knew everything would be exciting. I didn't try to think I want to really see this species here or there. It was a lot of planning for me to try to figure all of that out. So I said, I'm just going to come along and, and get excited about whatever seems cool. I think the giant salamander last night was amazing. Um, finding my first rattlesnake down here was great. And uh, I look really forward to the salvinii tomorrow. Is that it? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. That should be very exciting. Um, the horn viper that we got at the end of the walk the other night. 
was very cool. So oh the um, the little guy yeah uh huh I can't think of the name of the I yeah, have I've been trying to keep up bit. with the scientific it's all scientific names down here can be a bit to keep up on Ophriacus undulatus there we go yeah all right, that guy was great yeah um which is funny because we walked we hiked to the top of this mm-hmm. mountain we we went up to ten thousand feet mm-hmm. we found a few things at the top and, and so on and so forth. But we didn't find the target, the Ophriacus, mm-hmm. until we were 20 feet from the bottom, 20 feet from the road where our cars are <laughs> parked. But yep. that's how it goes sometimes. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, one of the really cool things is just how great of a crack team we have from all over the country. When we go out, like you said, with I think it's 14 different eyes looking, you know, I, I was like, I need to find a snake. I need to earn my position here. I was invited on this trip and I was stressing. I finally found some, but, uh, it was just amazing how every time we, we, we kind of split up over this big landscape and meet back up. Every time we meet back up, you know, someone's going to have one of our targets <laughs> every single yeah. time. It's, what did you get? Oh, I got this. It, it's just such a great team. Everyone really knows what they're doing and, and turns up finds everywhere we go. Um, so that's been very cool to see. And there's been a lot of things I didn't really expect coming here. You know, I kind of expected the unexpected, but uh, we've had some neat experiences. As Mike had just said, hiking all the way up that mountain the other day when we got the snake at the end, we had a mule bring us our lunch and our beer <laughs> to the top of the mountain. Um, two nights ago, we rode in the back, all of us, all 14 or 13 or so of us, in a cattle truck and <laughs> to get up to the top of a mountain that our vehicles weren't able. And we came down at night. We, we'd been going hard, so we, we went after the alligator lizard. And um, we were coming down in the dark in the back of this cattle truck on a clown mountain as lightning was coming out of these clouds. <laughs> and we were all standing up in the back of a cattle truck holding onto the metal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So these experiences have just been really, really cool to not just going to another country and finding cool herps, but just I've been looking for this kind of adventure and uh, this type of things have, have been really, really neat and pushing me out of my comfort zone. Yeah. And I don't think anybody really knew we were going to be heading up the mountain in that fashion either. No, I, I think a lot <laughs> it of it was like, okay, this really is what known. we're doing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're hopping on. Yeah. We've been surprised almost every day, at least by something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's been, it's been an interesting trip. And uh, so you, you guys are ready to, I'm, I'm sure now you're thinking ahead mm-hmm. to the future thinking, well, we could do this. Where else could we go? Mm-hmm. Right? right. Yeah. Is yeah. That on, is that on your mind? This is just the, this is the start. This is not our last, <laughs> our first and last international trip. Um, we have a barrier to get over if we ever do it on our own. Like we said, coming with this group is as, as good as it gets. When, when this opportunity came up, as I said earlier, I couldn't miss it. I knew this would be the, the best way to get introduced to this kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I, I want to do you know, Costa Rica and, and all the hitters. Yeah. I, I hope for this just to be the start of this. And, and I've loved to travel with this group again. This is the greatest group. You guys have assembled an amazing cast of herpers. Um, everyone here is fantastic. I have hopefully made lifelong friends and networking across the country. And as all of you herpers out there know, it's great to know people in, in other places that can help you out and, you return the favor when they come. So this has just been an amazing group to, to meet friends and memories that I'll never forget. This is honestly probably one of the best times in my entire life. Wow. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Brandon, can you top that or add to that? I don't know if I could top that. I mean, my, my, <laughs> my initial reaction to the invite down here was now, 
Uh, maybe <laughs> if I have a hefty life insurance policy in place, <laughs> but I'm not coming down. <laughs> um, but, you know, after looking into it more, I was like, okay, maybe it's maybe it's not that bad. Maybe it's just a lot of hype. You know, you still have to be careful and you still need to keep your wits about yourself. And, you and, need to do that in the state. But you have to do that anywhere. Yeah. Same thing with the life insurance. You should just have that anyway. Yeah. yeah. For, for so. anyone hesitant, like Brandon's saying, for a trip like this, there's a lot of little things that can build up and be stressful. How do I rent a car? How am I going to speak the language? How am I going to get through the airport? How do I get through customs? There's all the little things that I was worried about. It's really not that hard. It's all really not that hard. We next time you know what mm -hmm, to expect. Mm -hmm. We made it through because we came down on our own. We got our own rental car and we're meeting these guys. And Mike said we're leaving early. And that feeling of when we finally got in the hotel, we made it through all of those kind of logistical hurdles. It was just great. And I said, "Wow, that really wasn't that hard." And so, if that's a barrier for anyone out there, I think you should just push through that, and it's completely worth it. I think the turning point for me was when I heard that. This trip was referred to as the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I can't miss the Super Bowl. <laughs> you know, Tim, Tim was the hype man for this trip for sure. <laughs> yeah, this this area does get herped a lot. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's a lot of species in in the state of Veracruz. So, mm -hmm. and who drove through Mexico City? I volunteered. Okay. Yeah, Brandon's done all. I drive a lot, so most are all the driving here. So, uh, I was trying to help him out, saying. Brandon, that's a one way. Brandon, that's a one way. <laughs> <laughs> As cars are coming at us and everyone is beeping and oh my gosh. That was <laughs> that was quite the, the culture shock for us. Yeah, he's good to have in the passenger seat. <laughs> as well as the driver's seat. You needed a break anyway. <laughs> mm -hmm. He drives most of the time. Does he? Okay. All right. So you guys have more plans for herping in the States? You mm -hmm. want to visit more states and mm -hmm. places like that? Yeah, I've still got plenty of targets I need to hit. Yeah, we have some modest goals and some big ones. As I said earlier, we uh, we were in Virginia the other for Memorial Day weekend, and one of my lifelong dreams is to to rediscover the pine snake there, which hasn't been seen since 1989. Oh. So that's a target we're going to keep chasing because it's an interesting case of an animal that hasn't been seen in the landscape, despite there's no – it's as rural as it was in 1989 and prior. So it's kind of an interesting case of animal disappearing. So we have extreme goals like that, which we may never reach. It's just as well a species list that we have in neighboring states. And But the bycatch would be nice. Anyway. Oh, yeah, you're going to come up – as long as it's not 50 degrees and raining, oh. you're going to come up with a lot of timbers and milk snakes and copperheads. And there's even mountain corns and hogs there, so it's a very, very cool area. Very good. Well, it's 50 degrees and raining here. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's complete. We left New Jersey and it's been like in the 90s, 70s at night, mm -hmm. but that's okay. Yeah. We're, they're still July and August. Yeah. yeah. We got nesting season to look forward to when we get back. And Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the cool things that happened to me when I went to Jersey is we went, we went to um, near Atlantic City, uh, marshy area, and I guess part of it's a preserve, but we got to see diamondback terrapins and uh, uh, lots of diamondback terrapins. And I got shots of them swimming and basking. And it was just an, an amazing experience. Do you guys, are you, you guys go to check those things out when during the year in Jersey? Yeah, a lot of things as is, I guess, anywhere timing events is huge. So if you know when, when diamondbacks are going to be nesting, as I said, we're looking forward to nesting season. So when pine snakes start nesting, we know where to go to find them where they will be. Um, so chasing those kind of, of uh, events is, is always fun in New Jersey. When the tree frogs are calling and going out during that time of year, um, a lot of it is timing like that. 
I, I enjoyed my time there so mm-hmm. much. I got to see so many different things, and I did get to see a northern pine snake there. Excellent. That's so. yeah. That's the the holy grail of the area. The the pine. I mean, I could just go keep talking about the pine barrens forever, but uh, it, it's a very neat area. And um, Caulfield says something along the lines of, "For an area so special or something, yields so little. For an area that has so much, it yields so little." And it has such a cool community of, of animals and species. But whew, even as good, we've had board lines out for almost a decade now. And like I said, I work for the pine. We, we track corn snakes and pine snakes and king snakes. And still, a good day herping is just a, a couple couple snakes. It's a very tough area, as you have saw during your trip, to, to find the target species. It's yeah. a brutal landscape. Yeah. But I have to say that going to places that Caulfield mentioned mm-hmm. wrote about uh including a little little creek there a little creek with all this vegetation in it that he wrote about and looking down into the creek from the bridge and it's like mm-hmm. oh wow this is uh you know it's one of those things that resonates across 70 80 years now uh, since since uh he was doing those things it just sort of those places are still there the the pine barrens are still there the pine snakes are still there uh you can still Go see them, and uh, there's you know there's they're protected and everything, but uh, there's still opportunities for folks to go and observe them. Yeah. Um, That's right. one of the really special things about the area was the, the Pinelands Act that preserved the million acres of the pine barrens. That's pretty much unchanged since Caulfield saw them. Whereas other areas he wrote about, as of like Okatee, South Carolina, there's no longer diamondbacks there, and the landscape has changed so much. We're very lucky to be in an area that that's been so relatively unchanged and will be forever. It's forever protected. Yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you guys go to the Barrens together much, or? Mm-hmm. Yeah, together on our own, depending on yeah what what our schedules are looking like, what's on the itinerary. Yeah, we've been. Our group has been kind of trying to um, explore places that nobody really has. There's still, despite how long of a legacy it has of herping, there's a lot of unexplored areas and a lot of unknowns. Um, there's areas completely missing records. Uh, so we've been trying to to piece a lot of that together, and we've made some really significant finds in the past couple of years. Just so guys like Brandon are out there with you and mm-hmm. little core herpers? Yep. Yeah. I'm primarily, primarily a volunteer. Uh-huh. Um, so I'll go out and find stuff, submit my records, that kind of thing. Uh, that's under the New Jer- NJDP mm-hmm. uh, program. New Jersey Pineland Snake Research, um, but yeah, there, it's 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 really no wonder that there's huge swaths of land with no records because you could search the same piece of habitat mm-hmm. day in day out, time everything right, and eventually you might come up with like a shed, oh. <laughs> you know, like two years down the road or yeah. something along those Detection lines. Detection is very low out there. Yeah. Well, that, you have to be dogged. You have to stick with it. Mm-hmm. It taught me patience. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've had boards, Brandon and I and our, our little group, for years that don't produce. And you guys all out there know how disappointing it is to flip your cover over and over every season not get anything. And then all of a sudden, we got corn snake records that are only, you know, the sixth and seventh snake probably found in that county after years of flipping that same cover and not getting anything. Um, you might be able to call that insanity. It's hmm. possible. <laughs> yeah. Until it finally produces. Then all of that, it's, it's amazing that feeling when it finally produces all of that build up just to finally, it's very cathartic to finally see that. And 
that feeling of just you know high fiving and uh, it's, yeah. it's that's it's the, I, the, right? yeah yep yeah, I think that's the high we all kind of chase field herping um, so yeah so it's been it's been really fun for our group out there to and as Brandon mentioned he's a volunteer my other friends are volunteers that don't do this professionally and um, we came up with a program with our our state snake biologist years ago to kind of harness the um, energy of, of herpers and use it for good and, and yeah and, and try to discover they would come up with grids where they have no records and we would come up with these records and they directly influence the forest management plan so brandon and all these volunteers that are doing this not even as a professional paying job are, are making changes for the good for snakes throughout the new jersey pine barrens oh, that's fabulous mm-hmm. this this is something that is near and dear to my heart because i've i've, I've told up and coming herpers for years, you know, if, if you want to get into the community and be part of a community, hang out with the biologists, volunteer, ask if you can help, ask if you can go walk. Uh, sounds like Brandon, that's kind of what you've done. You've, you've put in time. That's been, some of it's been very disappointing, but it's also been very rewarding. Uh, but now you're part of a, a little, group that does this stuff and you're you're making a difference uh, make, making connections with people and uh, helping to protect the animal and so to me for anybody that's trying to get into field herping and, and trying to ex- expand uh, and maybe find herping buddies and things like that it's just a great way to do it um, it would be great if I could take a hundred people with me <laughs> in the yeah. field but I can't yeah. but I, I like this I like to hear about these little groups that are that come together and bond and and you know they maybe they move on to something new or maybe they end up going to Mexico or something like that. So um, so I love to hear this kind of stuff. It just mm-hmm. makes makes me feel really good. Yeah, yeah, it, it's been great. You know, we've this is kind of the core group, the people that we have today that we've whittled down that are uh, willing to kind of contribute to science. We have a lot of people that don't seem to have any interest. And for any herpers out there, as Mike said, it's important to to submit these records and get involved with your state biologist. And it only leads to good things you'll get invited to come see really neat stuff um and you submit these records that a lot of these biologists we're, we're very busy we have a lot of things to deal with so we aren't just out there field herping you guys can and can find these really cool records that will attract these biologists to come out and see your sites and it only leads to, to great things to, to make that network and to form that bond and yeah it's an important resource mm-hmm. for sure yeah we're trying to, to learn more and more how to tap into that and harness uh, field herpers and you know these guys we we had grown up for the past decade herping together so when i kind of made my career into this it was easy to to form this but most states have a program out there where you can submit endangered species records rare species records and um you know i i know there's a bunch of people listening to this that are sitting on county records and stuff that will really make a difference and yeah you know, can really help benefit the snake we all of us state biologists want to do really good for these species and we can't really do that without these records and knowing where things are so can't have a management plan Mm-mm. unless you know where they are or where they're not, right? Yeah, and as everyone knows, and we've been talking about how cryptic they are and how hard they are to find. So all these herbers out there that are, are finding these records um, can really be turned into good. Any final thoughts, gentlemen? Um, as I said, this has been an awesome trip with great people. Um I think finding the herbs is just one tiny sliver of how great this kind of trip is. Like I said, the food, the people, everything. Talking to our guide is amazing. Learning about how things are down here in the world of herpetology and culture in general. Um, and just seeing different seeing different landscapes is really cool. 
and we've been jumping around for a bunch of targets. So we've been seeing these different cloud forests and we're going to the desert tomorrow. Um, so it, it's very cool to see this whole diverse landscape of, of Mexico and um, it's been life changing for sure. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the Mexican people have been great. It's, they've been very good to us. Mm -hmm. um, really haven't had any bad experiences with them yet. I had one guy yell at me in Mexico City driving around with those about it. Well, you get it might have been my fault. I'm not exactly sure. <laughs> you get that anywhere. So yeah, yeah I think that's that's probably going to happen anywhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but uh, yeah, I thank you guys for taking care of us, and it's been a great time. Like Jeff said, the the herps are just part of it. The people and the experience that that super important too. It's it's not just about going out and looking for snakes. Mm -hmm. Thank you guys. I appreciate it. I like your perspective. Uh, you know, it's your first trip. So you're all, you know, wide eyed about lots of stuff. Uh, I think the, the, the big takeaway for me, the first time I traveled was you just realize that no matter where you go, most people are just like you. They're just trying to get by. They're trying to take care of their family. They're trying to make a living. They're trying to do some things. Uh, even the herpetologist you meet, you know, they're trying to, get work done you know the, the our local uh, guy max was uh you know he's trying to get his career going it's 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 really no different than anywhere else you know and uh you know there's media stories about going to mexico that scare the bejesus out of people but really that's that's not always the case here so yes it hasn't been seen to be the case at all it all seems very sensationalized uh yeah i, I haven't felt any kind of danger at all the entire time here yeah, it's just people are people anywhere you go. People don't want trouble. Yeah, I mean, we've driven around how many hours now? <laughs> Maybe 12, yeah. something like that. On the highway, on dirt roads, on on little small, I guess, county roads and local roads. And cattle trucks. Cattle trucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we've had an encounter with the police. They were fine. Sure. Mm -hmm. yeah. So everything's been fine so far. Mm -hmm. good. All right. well thanks again guys and uh good luck tomorrow uh hopefully we'll find some more cool stuff uh, down a little lower where it's a little warmer uh we're freezing our butts off up here <laughs> yeah it's so, pretty cold yeah <laughs> so uh brandon and jeff thanks again once again for coming on the show and uh, sharing your experiences with us really yeah. appreciate it so yeah thanks mike we're more than happy to and thank you for having us on this trip and we really really appreciate it um, yeah thanks for having us Kyron Linker, welcome to the show. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. Um, I've been a really big fan of uh, So Much Tingle, and I listen to your show a lot when I'm on my way, you know, to an outdoor adventure. So uh, I'm really excited to be on your show. Well, thanks. And uh, that's exactly what I want folks to do is <laughs> listen to the show when they're going somewhere or coming back from somewhere. So that's that's good to hear. Yeah. Uh, Appreciate the, your, your kind words, and uh, it's it's great to talk to you again. And uh, I think the last time uh, I saw you was uh, maybe Snake Road, a few yeah. maybe a couple of years ago. I believe it was Snake Road in 2018. Um, it was in October, and I can't remember who you were with, but you were walking up to me, and you were saying, "I think those people are probably photographing a rough green snake," and I said, hey, Mike, it's Kyron, um, actually uh, photographing banded sphinx caterpillars. 
Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I I always assume uh, the folks that are using their cameras are going to be shooting some sort of amphibian or reptile, and you got me. Yeah, I remember um, Steve Mark sent me a message, and he said, Kyron, have you seen these banded sphinx caterpillars? And I said, no. Oh, my gosh, I've been wanting to see them so long. I said, do you remember what host plant they were on? And he said, uh, primrose willow. And I said, well, that makes sense. I think I've seen primrose willow at Snake Road. So he actually encouraged me to get out there and see those caterpillars. And that's funny. I found them at Snake Road. Like, I drove you know, two hours from my home in St. Louis to drive out there just to see these caterpillars. And then I come back home and then I'm just, I'm taking a walk in a park, forest park, about five minutes away from my house. And I see primrose willow and I see like 20 um, <laughs> banded sphinx caterpillars. It's like, you know, you see something for the first time somewhere and then you just start seeing it everywhere. Yeah. Isn't that the way it goes? Yeah. Seems like, seems like that's the way it goes. Yeah. You get that search image, and uh, there they are. Yeah. Yeah. So you're from the St. Louis area. I am, yeah. Born and raised in St. Louis. Grew up in a very urban environment in St. Louis. Um, As a child, I really did not go on a lot of outdoor adventures or excursions. Um, I think every time my family tried to get me to even hike, I was too terrified to join them. as a child, I was actually very, very scared of spiders. So like my arachno- oh. my arachnophobia was just it was it was horrible. I remember just like even going to visit like my grandparents down at the Lake of the Ozarks, my dad would have to call my grandpa ahead of time and said and say, Can you please uh sweep away the spider webs around the house? You know, we're coming down and, and he said, Yeah, okay, okay. So uh my grandpa would be very, very surprised now that um, I'm actually I actually love spiders and I can't get enough of them now. Well, something happened along the way to uh, help you overcome your fear of spiders. Yeah, I would say it was just continuous exposure to them in the wild. Uh, you know, when I first started herping, you know, I read that in Missouri we have. Uh, tarantulas and black widows and that they're pretty common in glade habitat. And I also was told by other herpers that glade habitat is a, is a, it's a really good environment for snakes, certain species of snakes. And um, I remember just, uh, just like, you know, going to the glades for the first time and just being so terrified. And I was thinking, Oh gosh, just, Whatever happens, just please don't let me come across a tarantula or a black widow. And I think, you know, one of the first 10 rocks I flipped, it was a full-grown tarantula. Which, oh, boy. Yeah, I I now love tarantulas. And I, I love black widows. And um, I love spiders of all kinds, arachnids of all kinds. Well, that's awesome. So you've you've managed to overcome it, and you know, I, I try not to uh, I try not to make fun of people for their phobias. I mean, these things can come from childhood, and we sometimes we don't know where they come from, and it's you know, uh, sometimes people can't get over them, or they don't know that you know that's kind of a perhaps some sort of a irration, irrationality to it. So, yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, 
it's a phobia and it was just I think just with any repeated exposure to something gradually and education that it's it's easier to get over a fear um with you know baby steps you know yeah so, right. um, so that yeah that really that really helped my fear of spiders I'm afraid of bears bears really yeah oh, bears so cute yeah <laughs> Um, yeah, well, I don't live in bear country, so that's good. But, um, you know, it's just one of those things from childhood where, uh, uh, it's just something I've had a hard time with. Uh, bears just freak me out. Really? Uh, oh. oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's reason, there's reason to be freaked out by bears though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they you know, they can be vicious animals in the wrong situation. Um, but I, I, I saw my first bear in the wild in Thailand. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, it was a Malayan sun bear. Oh, wow. And uh, so that was kind of cool. And um, it was a, a controlled situation Yeah, where I was, you know, pretty good, pretty good distance away from it. But I could, you know, get some good pictures of it and observe it. And uh, so, you know, it, it, that went a long way to kind of uh, making me feel a little better about scary bears yeah that sounds really <laughs> exciting it's interesting that you mentioned bears because i saw my first american black bear literally like about three blocks away from my house in st louis and what I'm, yeah and i'm in the city so um yeah i was coming home from work one night and someone texted me and said you know there's a black bear in and brentwood right now and i I was like, no way. <laughs> so um, I guess people had been tracking it. It it probably came from Eureka, maybe. But yeah, unfortunately, you know, I, I st- it was it was getting dark by the time I showed up, but the bear was in a tree, and unfortunately, I think the Missouri Department of Conservation had to come by and tranquilize it, you know, and relocate it. But so it wasn't really, it was kind of like a bittersweet um, situation for me because I would much rather see a bear not get tranquilized, you know? Um, Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You'd rather see it somewhere where it's doing its thing and unmolested. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, I also understand that it was probably a threat to just have a a bear roaming around the highways and everything. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, how unusual to have a bear around St. Louis, but I guess those things happen once in a while. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you got started herping in the St. Louis area. Um. So how did you not, fall into this? Not really. So this, this. So what happened is, um, as a child, the first experience I can remember with any reptile or amphibian was uh, going on a trip to Florida with my parents and seeing a gnolls. And of course I was seeing a gnolls because they're, you know, the most abundant lizard there. (laughs) But um, I was just, I was so excited to see the males um, just extending their dew laps and, you know, bobbing their heads. And uh, so I was like, Oh mom, those are so cool. I'm like, I really want one. And she was like, well, I think I saw one at, uh, at PetSmart. So uh, she bought me, she bought me a pet, a gnoll. And I can't remember how young I was, but I must have been really young and very naive. But she, you know, she bought the proper enclosure for the anole. But 
whenever she wasn't looking, I actually, I took the annul and I played dollhouse with it. I really, uh. you know, like I, I, I didn't really view it as a pet. I viewed it more as a toy. So I was really young and I just remember I took the annul and I tried to like, you know, sit, sit them down on the, um, the chairs in the dining room kitchen inside the dollhouse and try to feed a cricket to them at the same time. Oh my. And then I remember taking um, sheets of toilet paper and trying to make a proper bed for him to sleep in. <laughs> <laughs> the poor thing. Um, okay. So you might have been a little too young. Yeah, I was very young. Okay. I, I don't really know how, how old I was. But I guess it was around the, the age of 30. Uh, I guess it was about seven years ago that I just started, I, I revisited the idea of just keeping any pets at all. Um, I had lived at an apartment where there weren't any pets allowed. And then I moved to a different apartment. I was just thinking about pets and I was thinking, well, I work so much. I really don't have time. It just wouldn't be fair for me to, to have a dog. So I was thinking, hmm, lizards, you know, maybe I'll, I'll, um, maybe I'll get a lizard again. So I went to Petco and someone recommended, oh, you know, we have some lizards here, but you can find really exotic lizards at um, these reptile shows. So I remember going to a reptile show and I researched ahead of time kind of what I probably wanted and a blue tongue skink was what I really wanted. So I went to the reptile show and um, asked the vendor if he had any blue tongue skinks and he said, no, I'm out of them, but... I have a lot of snakes here if you want any snakes. And I just, I, I was like, no way. There's no way I'm buying a snake. I'm so, so scared of snakes. Um, ah. Snakes snakes really creep me out too. And um, kind of like, you know, I had this like flashback in my memory of uh, camping as a, as a child and like walking to the shower house from the, from the tent, probably at dusk. And what I believe now was a Western rat snake just, you know, like was crawling right in front of my feet. And then a guy screamed and I ran and um, went back to the tent and didn't want to leave the tent <laughs> again. Oh, boy. Um, but I mean, that was really the extent of uh, my encounters with uh, any wild snakes as a child. And I just as an adult, I, ha I never really thought about snakes at all but i just remember like just just getting kind of like a an eerie kind of creepy feeling but i thought you know what i think i want to try to conquer my fear of snakes i'm gonna buy a snake today at this reptile show so i bought a honduran milk snake because of all the colors i thought it was really pretty so i took it home and i was having trouble just even transferring the snake from, you know, the little Tupperware containers they give you with the snake to the enclosure that I bought. I was, I was just so, so scared of even like touching it. And I'm like, what did I get myself into? So I called my only friend that I knew who had an older brother who had a snake, um, asked him to come over to help me transfer the snake to the enclosure <laughs> So um, he came over, he was trying to explain like how to pick up a snake. Anyway, I remember I just 
just trying to transfer the snake, I just kept on jerking my hand in and out of the cage so much that it probably like appeared to the snake that I was just this predator, just like, you know, trying to strike at it. So the snake was very agitated. So um, I remember I finally got it in my hand. It bit me and I, I just flung it across the room inadvertently. inadvertently. And um, I, I like, I lost the snake. My, friend and I were up all night just like tearing apart my apartment trying to find that snake I have pretty uh large air vents in my apartment so maybe it escaped down one of the air vents I'm not sure so after that experience I decided you know what I'm I'm not gonna give up I'm gonna get over this fear so I bought I bought a different snake I bought a corn snake and that snake never bit me at all so um Actually, like I realized, oh my gosh, I really, really like snakes, and I really love my corn snake. And shortly after that, I actually went on a date, an OK Cupid date, and met this guy. And I was just randomly talking about my pet snake, and he said uh, his name is Will Pasco, and he said, um, "Have you ever tried field herping?" And I said, "I don't know what you were really talking about," but uh, he said well, have you ever thought of uh, looking for snakes in the wild? It's just a lot more gratifying. And I said, no, the thought never crossed my mind, but that sounds really interesting. Well, unfortunately, he moved out of town, you know, very soon after our date, but he really encouraged me to go field herping at Snake Road. Ah. And this was, this was in October of 2014. And... Little did I know that, you know, October is just prime time for Snake Road. So, like, I I didn't even know I was going at prime time. I had no idea what I was doing. I went alone. Um, so I remember arriving at Snake Road, and I had, you know, I, I researched Snake Road a little bit before I went. And all I really knew was that there were venomous snakes there, and that just scared the living daylights out of me knowing that. But, and I also knew one other thing, I really, really wanted to find a ringneck because I just, I kind of glanced all the snakes that were native there and the ringneck looked the most appealing, just, you know, like the, the yellow on the belly and the, and the red on the tail. So I remember just arriving at Snake Road, walking for about 10 minutes and not finding anything really at all. I mean, like, Prior to this, like, I was not an outdoorsy individual at all. Like, I, I really had not been on a hike <laughs> at all. So, like, I really didn't know what to expect. So I came across some people and I said, hey, have you guys seen any ringnecks? And they said, uh, I, don't, I can't remember what they said. Like, no, I don't think we saw any today. And I was like, oh. Okay, I'm like, have you seen any snakes at all, or any any lizards, any frogs? And they're like, they kind of laughed, and they're like, well, yeah, of course. And uh, so I I kept walking, and then like I guess another ten minutes went by, and there was a man just walking alone. And I said, hey, have you found any ringnecks? And he was like, yeah, I did about uh, five minutes ago. And I was like, okay, where did you find it? I need to know exactly where and 
how'd you find it? And can you help me look for it? And he was, he was like, well, don't worry about the ringnecks. Um, he's like, you won't believe it, but someone found a mud snake about a quarter mile up the road. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I really don't want to see any kind of muddy snake. Like, <laughs> <laughs> And uh, he just, he looked at me and uh, he goes, ah, oh, okay. Uh, you're a newbie, aren't you? And I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty new to all this. And he said, he goes, okay, listen, it's not a muddy, it's not a snake covered in mud. It's an actual species of snake that lives in the swamps and it rarely emerges from the swamps. And I've only seen two in my life. And he goes, where are you from? And I said, St. Louis. And he said, okay, if you hurt Missouri and Southern Illinois in the future, you're going to see so many ringnecks, you're not going to know what to do with them. He said, it's guaranteed you're going to find ringnecks in your future. Now you need to hurry up down the road and go find this mud snake. And I go, okay, thanks. Um, I really appreciate your advice. Um, but can you tell me one more time, where did you see the, where did you see the ringneck? And he said, <laughs> he said, oh gosh, he goes, uh, good, good luck kiddo. So, um, <laughs> so then I kept walking. I was scouring the area trying to find the ringneck. And then I approached I, another two guys approached me and I said, Hey guys, have you seen a ringneck? And they said, uh, well, no, we haven't seen a ringneck here today. Um, ringnecks are, you know, they're usually found under, under rocks, but you know, rock flipping isn't really encouraged at snake road. So not sure if we can find you a ringneck. And I think they could tell I was, you know, pretty new to herping. So they they were nice enough to let me join them. And I think we did really well that day. Um, I saw my first milk snake. Um, oh, I do remember the first snake that I saw with them. Because, like, they were, they were asking me, well, what have you seen so far? And I was like, I haven't seen anything. I've been walking for 45 minutes. I haven't seen anything. They were like, you haven't even seen a cottonmouth? And I was like, no, and I'm really glad I haven't. And uh, oh wow! And then like we were we were walking, and like I think like five minutes later, they're like, well, there's a cottonmouth, and I like jumped a mile, and I was like, oh gosh, oh a cottonmouth, oh gosh, those are venomous, right? They're like they're like yeah, but you know they went in the whole thing about like cottonmouths don't chase you, you know it's not gonna it's not gonna hurt you. You just respect the distance of the snake. You're gonna be fine and. I'll be forever grateful for those two guys because um, after seeing the cottonmouth, I kind of eased up a little bit actually. And yeah, but I think the first snake that I spotted was a Mississippi green water snake. Oh yeah. And then I remember we saw a milk snake that day, uh, Western rat snakes, you know, um, Southern leopard frogs, green tree frogs, I think some plain belly water snakes. So it ended up being a really successful day. And how did you feel at the end of the day? Oh my gosh. I was, I was, I was elated. <laughs> you know, I was, I just like, I knew that I had found my new passion and I was really, really excited. I already, you know, at the end of the day, I just didn't even want to go home. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it was like, oh my gosh, this is so fun. Like, I just want to find more. And I want to see more and I want to learn more. So I, I went home just 
happy as a clam. And, um, yeah, that, you know, that winter, um, I just remember like, cause winter arrived pretty, you know, uh, quickly after that weekend and it got cold and already I couldn't wait to herp in springtime. Excellent. One of the great things about snake road is the fact that if, you know, if you don't know what you're doing, if, if you're new, there's always people that'll hang out with you and yeah, and uh, help you out. You oh, know, I've seen it, I've seen that over and over, and uh, I may have actually done that myself a few times. But uh, it's just a, a nice way to to get to meet some new people and learn some things. Oh, so. absolutely! I remember I you know I went back in April, and I don't think I had as much luck as I did in October. But you know, I was on a mission to find a ringneck snake. Ah. <laughs> um, so I went and I remember running into three really handsome guys. Um, one guy was wearing a bandana and he had a long beard. The other guy had dark hair. And then the third guy had glasses and a beard. I later um, found out that that was Jeremy Schumacher, Jeremy Schumacher, Justin Michaels, and you. Mike <laughs> and um and I, I talked to Jeremy about it recently and I, I was asking him if he remembers like the first time he met me and he said, Yeah, he goes, All I really remember is that you were just asking me about ringneck snakes. <laughs> <laughs> but um but Jeremy, you know, Jeremy Schumacher was one of like I I would call him, you know, probably like my first herp mentor. Ah, yeah. He he helped me so much. Um, I remember just I didn't even know how to identify a garter snake at first. Really, I mean, like I I don't remember ever coming across a garter snake before herping. <laughs> so wow. it's like I would send him pictures of everything I would see, and I would like take a guess. And you know, he he was very patient with me and non judgmental. He didn't you know he didn't make fun of me at all. I remember not being able to tell the difference between a Southern leopard frog and a Northern crawfish frog. And I had no idea, like, you know, the Northern crawfish frog was a lot more rare and, you know, right. like, those a certain time of year and they rarely come up out of the ground. Well, Jeremy's a good guy and uh, he's, he's, he is very patient and uh, he's, he's sort of uh, been a nice ambassador he really has. Uh, for Snake Road down there uh, since he since he moved down there. And uh, and there's a lot to learn. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There and, is yeah. a lot to learn. And yeah. uh, you, you uh, I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, this is the the fastest zero to 60 story I've ever heard. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've come a long way in a very short time. Oh, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's been about... Um, yeah, I guess it's been about seven years or so um, yeah. that I've been herping. And yeah, I remember my first year of herping, some of the highlights were, um, you know, I came across my first timber rattlesnake and an eastern hognose snake within like five feet of each other. Wow. Um, Holy cow. Yeah, I was in my own county, St. Louis County. I was herping with Adam Hamlin uh, and Chris Neal and Josie Dunlap. And 
we hear Chris say timber and like, you know, we all went running towards the timber. And then I was like, Oh my gosh, you guys an Eastern hog nose. And like, it just like immediately, you know, started puffing up like a Cobra and then playing dead. And I was so amused by the hog nose that like everyone was up there by the timber and, I was like, the timber can wait, you know, but like, <laughs> like timber rattlesnakes are awesome and I love them and I always love seeing them. And I've yeah. completely gotten over my fear of venomous snakes and all snakes now. Um, but, uh, but that hog nose, uh, I just, I just could not get over how dramatic it was. And um, yeah. it was just, yeah, that was a really neat memory. Also, I think, yeah, my first, well, I, I I think I considered that like my first year of herping, you know, because I, I went to Snake Road just the one time in October of 2014 and 2015 is like when I was just kind of out on my own. Uh-huh. But, you know, I, I just remember just, you know, meeting so many people who were just so welcoming to me, like Peter Paplanis. Um, Adam Hamlin, Matt Wishard, uh, you know, just, just so many people reaching out to me, um, because I remember I just really didn't know a lot. Right. Herping. So my only resources were, I think I joined the Missouri Herpetological Association on Facebook. And I remember adding Pete as a friend and then looking at his herp album and just like, blowing up his Facebook account saying, where did you see this? Where did you see this? Where did you see this? (laughs) And even on the, you know, the Missouri Herpetological uh, site, just saying, where, where, where? And like, I just remember people getting so frustrated with me and saying, you know, we cannot disclose locations and we cannot disclose this publicly. And at first I thought, wow, gosh, this community is like, they're, they're kind of, uh, they're kind of, you know, cold, you know, a little bit. Yeah. I was like, I just didn't understand the conservation aspect. Like, you know, we can't disclose these locations because we want to protect the species. But no one had really explained that to me. And I think it was, I think Pete was maybe the first person who really took the time to explain that concept to me. And he was just, you know, there are just so many nice people who are just so patient with me. So I'll always be really grateful for that. Yeah, those are some good folks. Yeah. And I remember my first year um, herping, went down to southern Missouri with my dad. And we were planning on just like visiting all of the the springs um, down there. We have some really nice springs in Missouri. And my, uh-huh. dad, my dad has always been into photography, but he was more into landscape photography. Um but we, I remember he was driving and we were supposed to go somewhere and he took the wrong turn and we ended up on this mountain and we get out of the car and I said, yeah, dad, let's explore here. You never know it's going to be here. And we opened up the, the door and there were Eastern collared lizards everywhere. Ah, <laughs> and nice. uh, yeah. And it wasn't even, you know, it wasn't even planned, but we just, we just saw them everywhere. And my, I, even my dad was really excited about it. You know, he's not, mm. he's not a herper and he was never really into like looking for species at all. He just, he always kind of appreciated landscape, but you know, he was pretty amused 
watching the you know them run on their hind legs and um, oh yeah and it's another thing we just like hit it at the really you know at like a perfect time I, I think it was late May so like the males were in breeding colors and yeah courting the females <laughs> so that was really lucky um I remember just studying this website it was called the Missouri Herpetological Atlas Project. And I just, I remember studying that and, and I really wanted to find a dusty hognose. So I actually got, I think I saw a dusty hognose the first year of herping and it was my, I think my second try. So those are pretty rare snakes in Missouri, kind of hard to find. Right. That's very good. Yeah. That's uh that's not an easy snake to find. Yeah. I didn't realize <laughs> it wasn't, I didn't realize it was all that, you know, hard to find because it, it was my second attempt at that location. And, um, and it happened to be October and I didn't really know like Hogtober was a thing, you know? Ah, yeah. October. Yeah. I just, you know, I think a lot of it was, a lot of it was luck at the very beginning. Well, you know, the luck is something, if you got it, you got to roll with it. Right. I mean, Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. Uh, as long as you learn from it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You know, so then you can uh, keep making your own luck. Right. Because you, you, you can, you can be prepared. Yeah. For the next, for the next lucky thing that happens. Yeah. Like a, like a hog nose and a rattlesnake uh, within, you know, a few feet away. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And this, this all kind of resonates because I grew up in uh, St. Louis Oh, did you? I, oh, yeah. And I cut my herping teeth there. Oh, okay. As a 12 year old, south side, uh, uh, growing up in Lima and the south side of, of the city. So, I, you know, I spent time traipsing around various open spaces uh, that were available to me in, around St. Louis uh, mm -hmm. back in the 70s. And uh, so it's it, what you're talking about going to finding timber rattlesnakes in, in St. Louis County, which is. Uh, you can still do, but it's uh, it's a lot little harder to do, do now because of uh, urban sprawl. So yeah, uh, it's pretty cool. You're still able to do that. Yeah, it's you know it's really not common. I, I I've tried to mimic that experience a couple of times since then, and I think I've only actually seen three three more in St. Louis County at different locations. Um, unfortunately, okay. where I found my first timber rattlesnake they built or they they didn't build but they made a trail a walking trail right along it and that probably just disturbed some of the timber rattlesnake habitat or maybe they moved to a different spot i'm not sure um yeah they don't take uh, like densites or anything like that into consideration usually yeah yeah i know <laughs> so. like this is the worst place to um make a new trail here but yeah Hmm. Well, and I think I saw uh, pygmy rattlesnakes too my first year of herping, which was pretty neat. There, I couldn't believe how small they were. Yeah. But I remember going with a couple of friends, and I'm always the person in the group who is so slow at walking. <laughs> you know, like I, I really take my time, and I, I really try to be present to my surroundings, and everyone else is just like walking really fast, you know, and uh, I was just lagging behind and I was like, Hey guys, you just walked past a pygmy, our, you know, my first pygmy. And I think it was, 
yeah, Chris and Josie's first pygmy too. And like, there's a pygmy over here. And they were like, <laughs> they were like how do we walk past that? And I'm like, you guys walk too fast. <laughs> Take your time. <laughs> well, I'm also the guy in the group that uh, I'm the slowest person usually. Yeah. Um, I, I just have a naturally slow gait. I, uh, I'm usually sauntering and sometimes I, I put it in, up into mosey and go a little faster, but yeah, uh, I'm just not going to be the guy uh, at the very front of the, of the pack. So yeah. I kind of get where you're coming from and you, you do see more when you walk slower. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That must've been a heck of a first year. Oh, it was amazing. It, yeah, it was, it was amazing. Um, and already like the second year I couldn't wait to find more. And I even, yeah, I think the second year, early spring, Chris and Josie and I decided to take a trip down to Florida. So we had no experience with road cruising at all. I mean, they they were as new to herping as I was. We all started uh-huh. at the same time. And I think we all met, you know, on that Facebook group, uh, the Missouri Herp Group. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So we really had we had no idea what we were doing in terms of road cruising because, you know, in, in Missouri, the year prior, we spent, you know, a lot of time like looking under rocks and uh, we realized when we got to Florida, okay, like it's really hard. To, <laughs> there's like no cover. I mean, you can, you can try flipping things, but um, we just weren't, we weren't finding that much. Um, and luckily I, can, I think it was, Maybe Kevin Scott gave us some advice on on road cruising, but um, I, I say we did okay. We did pretty well. I think we got a scarlet snake. We got a scarlet king snake, which was one of my favorite finds. We saw an eastern diamondback rattlesnake, Brooks king snake, um, and probably my favorite snake that we saw there. Unfortunately, they're non-native, but I just thought they were adorable or the Brahmini blind snakes. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 I know they're not native, so it really shouldn't have been my favorite. Uh, since they've caught, con- since they conquered the world. Yeah. I, 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 I kind of don't, I don't attach any stigma to them. Yeah. You know, they, they've con- conquered the entire world and they just kind of hang out and nobody yeah. knows where yeah. they're, where they're at. And it's not like a big Python that's, you know, yeah. Their- Exactly. Eating all the uh, critters. So exactly. Uh, so hopefully they're not harming the environment too much. I mean, they eat termites, I think. So yeah, I think we have enough termites in the world. <laughs> yeah, I think there's. Uh, uh, I think we're okay with those little guys. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I cut them some slack. Yeah. Uh, you find them in all kinds of odd places around the world too, not just in Florida. They're. It's amazing where they turn up. So really. Yeah, yeah. I got one uh, in La Paz in Baja, California, Mexico. Oh, wow. Kind oh, wow. of flip one in a junk pile. So, yeah. How'd yeah. it get there? That's interesting because um, when I was herping in California one time, I just really, really wanted to find the native thread snakes that they Oh, yeah. There. Um, I never did find them at all. Um, but I was looking on iNaturalist and I was seeing that they have the Brahmini blind snakes also. And I probably would have been happy to see those again though. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the, the other, the native 
blind snakes are a little tough when it's dry. Yeah. I, you know, I really tried hard for them in Kansas, but I think, you, yeah, the heavy rains need to happen and tried for them also in Arizona and that I never found them. Well, I, so you've mentioned it in, in just a short span of time. You mentioned California and Kansas. Oh, yeah. And, and Arizona and Florida. So you you uh, you busted out pretty early. Yeah, I think. Yeah, let's see. Um, I think, yeah, my second year of herping uh, went to Kansas, um, found uh, prairie rattlesnakes, which, you know, I found them to have the most attitude out of all the rattlesnakes I've ever encountered. Uh, They're pretty cranky. They're pretty cranky. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I really like them. You know, I found a lot of uh, prairie mosasaguas. Um, oh, um, I rescued a bull snake out of a silo. So we were herping and probably trespassing. And um, we were just like flipping some junk piles. We weren't really finding much. It was it was pretty dry, but, um, my friend opened up this, the door to the silo and we were peering down it and he goes, is that, is that a snake down there? I go, that's a bull snake. And it was down the silo, you know, pretty far down the silo. And I said, all right, well, I'm kind of claustrophobic. So don't close this door on me, but I'm going to climb down and get that bull snake. So luckily we got it out of there because I think it was stuck there and it was oh my. severely dehydrated. So um, we like, we took one of our water bottles and kind of cut it in half and then it, it drank so much water. So hopefully, wow. hopefully that bull snake is doing okay. I'll trespass a little to save a bull snake's life. Won't you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was pretty excited to see, um, Texas horn lizards, uh, in Kansas. Um, that's nice. Yeah. And the night snake, I remember the, the night snake was a really cool find. I like those vertical pupils on, yeah. on them. Yeah. That's a snake that doesn't, uh, it barely gets up into little parts of Kansas, right? Yeah. 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 So that was very cool. That was neat. Um, yeah, Arizona was really fun. Um, I saw my first Gila monster. The the first night that I was there, road cruised a Gila monster and herped with Keegan Smith. And he was a complete stranger. And this is the thing oh. I love about that I love about the herp community. It's just like you can meet up with complete strangers and they're just so generous. And yes. he, he you know, he he let Chris, Chris and Josie and I and one other girl like stay in his apartment for an entire week, and he let us have his bed and he slept on the floor. I mean, just and took us, you know, drove us around everywhere. I mean, just the nicest guy. Yeah. Yeah, but um, yeah, and then we also we ran into Tony Gerard there too. <laughs> with, oh. Yeah, of I mean, all places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know Tony Gerard lives like two hours away from me. Um, but I had yeah. know who he was. But he was a lot of uh, a lot of the Midwest people listening to this know know our buddy Tony, who lives down in some very a very cool area of Southern Illinois. So yeah, uh, he's a he's a sweetheart, and his wife is too, Berna. Yeah, they're they're good folks. But yeah, I mean, 
we met up with him and then we all just hopped in his van. He had this van and he was like, well, jump in, let's all herp together. So, um, we saw, um, you know, those carrot tail phase, uh, chukwalas, which were really neat. Um, then we, we tried to, we went to that specific road. I probably shouldn't mention the exact name of the road on the podcast, but (laughs) where those, uh, vine snakes are found. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Um, We never did find them. It just seemed like the months, like the monsoons just like hit, like as soon as we got to Arizona on our first day. But, um, we found a lot of, uh, Chiricahua leopard frogs, uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. The Madelazin, uh narrowmouth toads. Oh, Mazatlan. Yeah, Mazatlan narrowmouth toads. I knew I was not pronouncing it right. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, some, I think some Sonoran mud turtles. Uh, Ooh. Yeah, some desert tortoises. Um, of course, a lot of spadefoot toads. Ooh, and vinegaroons. Yeah. Um, yeah, those were really neat. I really wanted to find um, Scolopendra heroes, like the giant red-headed. Oh, yeah. We didn't find any of those, but we found um, a lot of Scolopendra polymorpha. Um, It wasn't a very snaky trip, you know, like um, we didn't really have like a lot of snakes, but we did get Mojave rattlesnake, Western diamondbacks, and liar snakes. I really mm. wanted a sidewinder, but um, just kept on finding DOR sidewinders. Oh. Um, I think we found like some kind of, uh, I think it was like a short horned lizard. But yeah, that was a, it was a fun trip, even though it wasn't like, you know, all snakes, but it was, it was a fun trip. Good friends and good times. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so at some point, in all of this, are you, you know, self-reflecting and, and, and going, Hey, I guess I, I am this, this person now I'm, I'm a field herper. I'm one of these people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it felt really good to be a part of a community and yeah. everyone. Yeah. The herp community is just, um, just ended up being just a great community of people and, you know, not only did I meet Herpers, but I just met other naturalists. And yeah, um, yeah. So here we are, six, seven years later, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the things that I mean, I, I'm kind of privy to some of what's happened to you, some of your journey along the way. Yeah, uh, and I enjoy the you know you, you post some great pictures of some cool stuff, but you're. You are a naturalist. You're not just a, a field herper. You're, you're field herper. You're interested in other uh, organisms. And uh, one of the, one of the things I, I enjoy that you post a lot of uh, are butterflies and moths and other and, and other insects. Oh yeah, I'm a big moth fan. So oh, uh, are you? Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, I I really like. Uh, in fact, I think uh, moths ruled butterflies drool. You know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> moths are very overlooked and underappreciated. Yeah, there's some cool moths out there. So, so I really get a kick out of all these posts you make with all these different, oh, these uh, cool moths, and including some stuff that's just normally people look at and go, eh, it's a moth. But uh, you come up with the common name and the scientific name, and I'm 
uh, which uh, always gets my attention. So how did you get involved with that? Is that sort of a side thing yeah. that happened along the way? So, yeah, that happened along the way. Um, so really what happened, you know, I was field herping and then I think birds were probably the, you know, I probably switched to birds um, in winter time between, you know, I, you can still herp in winter time, but it's just obviously not as good. So I think I, I got into birds. Like there was a, there was a barred owl uh, right outside my apartment. And then that just like totally got me into birding. And I remember with birding, um, I was birding in winter and I saw a bald eagle catch a fish. And then I started thinking, what is, what fish was that? I think it was probably a freshwater drum, but I wasn't sure. So then that kind of got me into fish. So then I dip netted a lot of fish with my friend Matt. And we have pretty much found almost all of the native fish in Missouri. Oh, wow. Yeah, everything from darters, like rainbow darters, orange-throated darters, green-sided darters, yolk darters, um, Arkansas darters, sunburst darters, um, even a crystal darter, which is um, a species of conservation concern in Missouri. I remember one time I was fishing for walleye with a friend at night and we weren't having much luck. So we just kind of just, you know, sat next to the river. And this was like 30 minutes away from my house. And he said, uh, Hey, uh, I saw this, this fish. Uh, I have a photo of it. Do you want to take a look? Could you ID it for me? And I just about shoved him in the river. I, I said, no way. You didn't see that. And he said, yeah, well, what is it? I go, that's a crystal darter. I said, I've been looking on the Gasconade River, you know, for so long for that, <laughs> that darter. It's really rare. It's endangered, actually. Um, where in the world did you find it? He goes, here. I go, here? What do you mean here? He goes, right where we're fishing. And I was so focused on catching a walleye that I wasn't even like, you know, looking at the water. And then I just look in the water and there were crystal darters everywhere. Oh, wow. I don't believe they were, they've ever been found in the big river where we were. So, so Isaac actually reported that, uh, to an ichthyologist, but, um, you know, I was just like, so enraptured by fish, uh, for a while. Like, well, Missouri's got a lot of great stream fish. It's amazing. Yeah. There are so many neat fish. Um, and just like, and just catching gar. I was just so <laughs> happy to yeah. catch gar. You know, like most most anglers, they they think gar are trash fish, and, which is just such a shame. You know, like, I guess they just really don't like gar because they just, they steal the bait from the, the game fish that they want to catch. But they're just such beautiful prehistoric fish. And yeah. I don't know how anyone cannot have an appreciation for them. But like, yes, uh, shovel-nosed sturgeon is another neat fish. Uh, probably the my favorite fish that I've ever seen was dip netting a Leesbrook lamprey. It's a non-parasitic fish, and then also seeing a silver lamp lamprey on the Mississippi River that was attached to a paddlefish. Oh wow! 
Yeah, and there are these boneless fish that, you know, they arose like several hundred years ago, making them even older than dinosaurs. So they're they're jawless fish that haven't even evolved all that much in 360 million years. Um, Are you talking about the paddlefish? um, No, the silver. Or the lamprey. The silver lamprey that was attached to the paddlefish. Okay, because paddlefish are pretty old too, aren't they? Yeah, they are pretty old too. Couple of old fish. Yeah, yeah, I know. So it was just like it was just mind-boggling. That wow. and and seeing an American eel, and just thinking about the incredible journey that it made over its lifetime to where I caught it right there on the Mississippi River, about twenty minutes away from my house. Um, you know, they begin their life in the Sargasso Sea, and then they're carried by ocean currents and streams into rivers and lakes, and some migrate into fresh water, and they can live up to 25 years in fresh water until they reach uh, sexual maturity. And then they migrate back to the Sargasso Sea, and when they migrate back, they undergo this major transformation as they move from freshwater to saltwater and they build these fat reserves to fuel their journey and their eyes double in size so that they can see in the deep waters of the ocean. And once they reach the Sargasso Sea, they spawn and then they die. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So it's, a, it's the, the journey unto death. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So uh, the last thing they do is is reproduce and die. Yeah. That's, that's pretty yeah. amazing. Kind of like salmon. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. The last thing they, they do is 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 this thing where they go from uh, one, com- one, I mean, freshwater, the freshwater ecosystems are just so different from saltwater. I mean, it's like going to another planet. You know? Yeah. It's not as drastic as you or I sticking our head under the water, but it's still pretty <laughs> drastic. So. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's amazing. It's just, it's just like mind boggling. Yeah, there, I, there are a lot of saltwater fish that I was really happy to see. Um, like in Florida, when I, um, I went to Florida, I, I went on a pier and I, it was the first time I ever saw green sea turtles. Oh, wow. And so I was like watching these green sea turtles on a pier. I think it was around Fort Lauderdale. And then I just see this um, tiger shark just swoop in um, in the shallow water. I don't know what it was doing, but it. And then I lost it. But it was like a split second of seeing a tiger shark. It's the only wow, only shark that I've ever seen in the wild. I've really tried to, I've really tried to see um, sharks and on my trips to California and Alabama. Um, I was actually hoping to catch a shark. While I was fishing and. In Alabama, I didn't catch a shark, but I caught a remora. Oh, the the fish like they're like shark suckers, and they just yeah. they cling to sharks. This so, one was was sharkless. Yeah, for whatever yeah. reason. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So it's the closest I've ever been to catching a shark. But um, so I, I'm I'm going to call you a naturalist. Yeah. Um, because we're we're talking about freshwater fish, saltwater fish insects, other invertebrates. We're talking about herbs. Yeah. Uh, do you ever go over into the plant kingdom at all? Does that interest you? Or I think it probably interests you in some ways because of 
things like caterpillars. So you've got to learn some plants to. Well, the plants don't really like get me really excited. I mean, like I'm trying to learn my plants just so that I know like the host plants that certain caterpillars feed on. Uh So for example, I have to know how to identify Virginia creeper because I am dying to see an Abbott Sphinx caterpillar, but, um, but I haven't really, you know, like when I, when I found Virginia creeper, I wasn't jumping up and down and like really excited, you know, right. I've been known to do some really silly things when I get really excited about seeing something that I've been wanting to see for a long time. <laughs> um, let me, let me ask you this. Have you ever seen a pearly wood nymph? I have. I, well, I have seen the moth, but I have okay. not seen the caterpillar. So for me, I need a picture of it. Okay. Or it didn't happen. And I have I have seen several pearly wood nymphs, which is a beautiful <laughs> moth. Go look it up, folks. But I have never been able to get a lens on one. They are the most flighty moth. They are very difficult to to approach. Um, yeah, I see. I've seen um, I've seen quite a few of the moths. Uh-huh. Uh, just not the not the caterpillars. Okay. You know, some of my the my favorite caterpillars are the slug caterpillars and they're the ones that have like all of my favorite caterpillars are all the ones that can kind of harm me (laughs) 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 for some reason. Like I'm really into the, the slug caterpillars that can, they have these little um, seta, they're like stinging hairs. Uh, So if you, if you brush up against one, it can be fairly painful. I've, I've already um, brushed up a cup uh, upon a couple and it was, it felt kind of like, um, I don't know, like being stung by a bee for like 20 minutes. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, so yeah, like, uh, like the stinging rose caterpillars, the purple crested um, slug caterpillars, saddlebacks. Uh, saddlebacks. Yes. Yeah. The crown slug caterpillars, spun glass, jewel tailed. They're all so beautiful, uh, but they're all very painful. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So uh, do you, you have field guide, the caterpillar, caterpillar field guide and things like that to help you on your way? Yeah, I have a caterpillar field guide, but really like my field guide has probably been like two people um, who I met, Eva and Matt Ladage, they're just like the caterpillar whisperers. So they've taught. Oh, really? Me, yeah, they've taught me a lot. Awesome. Yeah, and then I'm, you know, I'm also really into beetles. Um, so it took me a long time to find my Eastern Hercules beetle, but I finally found it. Um, I would stay up like pretty much the for the past three summers. See, what I do is I volunteer at uh, state parks and. I conduct insect surveys for them. Oh, wow. So I bring my my black light setup and my mercury vapor bulb and a sheet, and they allow me to stay there until as late as 5 a.m. <laughs> I, oh, usually, wow. I usually stay out every weekend in the summertime photographing anything from, you know, moths to caterpillars to beetles and then recording all of the species for the state park and it benefits both of us because they like species lists and I am nocturnal. 
uh, <laughs> and I cannot get enough of of insects. So so it really works out for everybody. So that sounds like a crash course in insect identification for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I'm always learning something new. Like, um, you know, I was at the Sand Prairie in Missouri, and my my friend Matt had sent me a picture of what looked like an ox beetle, like what I had seen in Arizona. And I was saying, that's weird. I didn't think we had any ox beetles in Missouri. So I, I contacted Ted McRae, an entomologist. He said, that's a smooth ox beetle. Are you sure that's what your friend saw? And I said, well, let me let me go down to the sand prairie. Let me set, do my little setup there. First time I tried it, um, it was a little bit late in the season. I didn't I didn't get anything. The next year I went, they were just everywhere. They're crawling everywhere. They're fairly large beetles. So I told I I gave Ted McRae the the coordinates, and he said, yeah, this is going to be the the first observation of smooth ox beetles in Missouri. They really like, they're normally found in really sandy habitats. So it's interesting that they're, that I found them at, you know, our last remaining sand prairie in Missouri. That's cool. So that um, was neat. Yeah. It's, it's fun. I mean, the, the herp world, sometimes you can make interesting uh, discoveries, but the insect world has so many more possibilities for uh, finding thing. Uh, maybe not, well, you can find new species as well, but you can also just find uh, things that are never recorded from that area before. Yeah, exactly. There are a lot of there are a lot of species that are even still like undescribed. You know, they just haven't uh-huh. been studied enough. So yeah. I think I think I've come across a few that it's just like okay, undescribed species. I I can't really label it, but um, put the old SP on there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I try to I try to put everything into iNaturalist um because sometimes it can it can help with some of the research studies on there. Um and I'm my next goal is to upload everything on Bug Guide. So oh. hopefully, hopefully that will help science a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now my uh my friend Chris Smith is into tiger beetles. Is that oh, an interest of yours? Tiger beetles. I love tiger beetles. Um, so I was so excited to find um, ghost tiger beetles at the Sand Prairie, too. Oh, cool. Yeah, they're really, really neat. I love finding different species of tiger beetles. Um, I, think I, also, I think I also found splendid tiger beetles down there. And, oh, I'm blanking now. But, yeah, tiger beetles. They're really, really, really neat. Yeah, I, I've learned to appreciate them from uh, from just hanging out with Chris. You know, he, he'd be like, yeah. "Oh, there's this, there's that." Be a tiger beetle, and he, he he has an incredible amount of knowledge about tiger beetles, and it just kind of rubs off. And it, you know, yeah. I, I, I I can appreciate them when I see them. I'm never going to learn all of their names, but yeah. uh, but I do appreciate them. And you know, whereas before, I might not have even paid attention to them. But, yeah, uh, I mean, they're, they're so they're so fast and yeah. they're fairly small most of them. So, it's really I mean, it's kind of hard to ID them unless you have a either a telephoto lens or you can capture them. I've never been able to really capture one, but um but yeah, I I love tiger beetles. So, let me uh I'm going to kind of bring this to a close, but I, I what's what's in the future for you? I mean, you know, maybe it's monkeys or 
uh, <laughs> elephants. But uh, do you have places you want to travel that interest you? Um, so that's a good question. You know, I want to see a Sicilian in the wild. Okay. So I would really like to see, um, you know, I cannot pronounce the scientific name, but it's the phallus, the, kind of like the phallic shaped uh, <laughs> one. Um, I won't even, I won't even uh, attempt to pronounce the name, the Latin name, but. Um, where is it? Where is it found? I can't, I can't really remember where it's found, but it's, it's very phallic. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I have to tell you that does not narrow it down when it comes to. Yeah, I know. I don't know, but actually just seeing, just seeing any of them really would be exciting. So like, I think Costa Rica would be a fun. Okay. Trip. Yeah. You know, obviously I'd really love to see, um, any thread snake. I, I really okay. love thread snakes. Um, well, Costa Rica would, you could hit so many different, uh, you could ring all your bells in Costa Rica with yeah. insects yeah. and herps and fish. Yeah. And, mm, yeah. Yeah. I think I would just, I would completely flip out if I found a Sicilian in the wild. I've been, I've been known to do really funny things when I, find something that I've been wanting to see. Um, Jeremy Schumacher still makes fun of me for the, he calls it the Chiron siren dance. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently the, apparently the first time I found my first siren, I just, I just, I guess I started dancing. I was was so happy to see that siren that, um, see, I think like three toed Amphiuma and, uh, Western lesser sirens. I think they're probably like the most beautiful salamanders I've seen. They're and pretty I, cool. I mean, they're, I, I don't know. I just really, really like them. And I mean, I've seen like blue spotted salamanders and green salamanders and red salamanders, and they're all very colorful, but there's just something so neat about like the amphiuma and the sirens. Yeah. I've, I think I also, uh, the first time I was with Matt Bordeaux, I think I I meant to hug him when he found a fox snake. I was so excited to see the fox snake that I think I intended for it to be a hug, but I think I accidentally like tackled him to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> and then my best friend Matt from high school, um, when he dip netted a three-toed amphiuma, um, apparently I just like gave him nonstop kisses on the cheek. <laughs> Yeah, I get uh, I get very very excited, and then one time I was I was herping with Ashton Smith. Um, he's a he's a kid, and uh, yeah, he weighs yeah. he weighs like two pounds. So when we found, I had already seen ground snakes in Missouri before, but we went on a trip with John Burris and Michael Taylor and. Anyway, we were, you know, it was like one one earth snake after another. You know, I, I think we found like we were like hiking and we were seeing like 200 earth snakes. And then finally, Michael Taylor flipped a ground snake. I was so excited. I like lifted Ashton up in the air. And like, since he was so light, I think I actually like flung him in the air, like, <laughs> just, like tossed him in the air and then caught him. Um but, well, you know, a lot of people out there listening to this are they're they're going, eh, yeah, dancing, hugging, 
throwing people around. I get it. Totally yeah. get it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I can't, I can't even imagine like if, if I were in Costa Rica, just seeing like everything down there, I would, who know? there's no telling what I would do, you know? <laughs> well, be, be prepared to be shocked because those kind of places can really overwhelm you. There's just so much, everything is new, right? And every, yeah. Every critter you see is going to be new. So and that's another thing is I think I would probably have a hard time focusing because since I am into everything, you know, everything from like a tiny little plant hopper to a snake, to a bird, to a moth, to a butterfly. Um, I think I would just, I wouldn't even know how to, sometimes I had that problem. Like I, I'm like, okay, I have today I'm going to be in herping mode. You know, I have to, uh, kind of, I have to be in a certain mode so that I'm not just like all over the place, <laughs> you know, cause I want to yeah. see everything and I want to, I want to learn everything. Yeah. You don't want to thrash around. Yeah. 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 But that's why you have to go back. So yes. you know, usually people who go places like Costa Rica, you know, they don't they don't go once. They yeah. go back at least yeah. twice. So. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you probably want to go back to Thailand. Yeah, Thailand would be awesome because uh, you know, when I was in Thailand, it was around the time of the tsunami. I want to say it was it was there a couple months before that tsunami. So I was oh. in I was in Thailand. I, I missed that tsunami by a couple of months. I want to say it was like 2006 or I can't, I can't remember the exact year. Yeah. Maybe 2008. I can't recall. Yeah, no. maybe That's what it was, but I can't remember. Um, but when I was in Thailand, I was actually in Thailand because, and I studied at Webster university and I was studying anthropology and minoring in religion. So when I was in Thailand, I was um, mostly studying Buddhism. So I was I was going to a lot of Buddhist temples, and I was not herping. I mean, I had I had no interest in the natural world whatsoever. I was more interested in studying culture and people. Uh-huh. So um, the only herp that I remember from the trip. It was a vine snake. Oh, yeah. It was just, it was in one of the trees at our outdoor cafeteria. So um, I remember thinking like that was, I, I, I guess I was curious enough to take a picture of it. So I had ah. a picture of it. But um, I remember at that time, I was still a little bit scared of snakes. But I would love to go to Thailand because like, <laughs> you know, I'm so mad at myself for not, uh, exploring like you know the nature there so well you know the temples are cool yeah they are they are i went to a couple i went to the, the temple of the reclining buddha in bangkok yeah I, yeah I went there too yeah that was amazing. fantastic amazing so, yeah so don't beat yourself up too much that, that's yeah. pretty pretty good stuff so i can always go back hopefully yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well i i want to thank you for coming on the show and telling us how you got started. And I have to say that, you know, I, I get all kinds of stories about, you know, people getting started and how they got into this. And, and uh, yours is probably the one that uh, you, uh, like I said, zero to 60, uh, uh, you're the, the first person I've interviewed that's just really gone from nothing to 
everything in a very short period of time. And, you know, seven, eight years is not much time to, for all yeah. that you've managed to, to do. So I appreciate that. My, yeah, I'm a, I'm a little intense. I'm very passionate and, and obsessed. Yeah. And, you know, like I want to take, you know, I want to just take a little time to thank my, my family and my boyfriend for ah. putting up with me over this period of time because, <laughs> you know, like, they're just, they're just so patient, you know, cause I'm, you know, I, I work a lot and, and my free, most of my free time I'm out exploring. So, um, they've always been very supportive of, of my passions. So very good. Yeah. Very good. That's, that's, um, I'm glad to hear that. Anybody else you want to say hi to or thank for, uh, your uh, magnificent this, journey? Um, you know, everyone that I've, that has helped me, um, you know, Chrissy and Andy, um, really helped me get into moths. Eva and Matt really, uh, helped me with the caterpillars. Um, it was, it was great meeting Jamie Cummings. She's like now my best friend. We met on snake road and, Oh, Jamie, I love Jamie. Yeah. And just instantly connected, uh, Lisa powers, um, it's like I barely knew her at all, and then she invited me on a real foot trip. Um, so uh, we got to do that. There just there are so many people that were just so helpful on my journey on my path. It's a good it's a good community. It is whether it's moths or fishes or caterpillars or Sicilians. It's a, it's a good community. Yes, <laughs> yes exactly. All right. Well, well. Thanks for coming on the show and talking to us. And uh, and I, I really can't wait to meet you again somewhere. I don't know where we'll we'll see each other somewhere. Um, yeah, exactly. I'm not yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But uh, hopefully, it's sometime this year. Okay, I hope so. All right. Thanks again, Mike. All right. Well, thank you again for coming on the show. Sure. All right. Take care. Hey there, me again. I hope you enjoyed these origin stories as much as I did. And as you might expect, Max successfully defended his thesis project and is now working on his master's. And I haven't talked to them recently, but I suspect that Jeff and Brandon are plotting their next big herb adventure. And uh, and Kyron's story reminds me that not everyone is on some, uh, some kind of predestined glide path straight to planet herb and that there are so many paths to this place. That's it. That's all I've got. Uh, but hey, thanks for listening. That's it for episode 45. I want to thank Max, Brandon, Jeff, and Kyron for sitting down with me and sharing their stories. I really enjoyed chatting with all of you. And thanks once again to Miles Masterson and all of my patrons for supporting the show and keeping it rolling forward. And I'm grateful for your support, and it simply would not continue without you. Uh, and if you're out there listening and you would like to kick in a few bucks, you can do so via Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash so much pingle, and so much pingle is all one word. And you can also make one-time contributions via PayPal and Venmo. And just drop me an email to so much pingle at gmail.com for more details. Now, don't forget that you can find all of the recorded episodes and show notes at so muchpingle.com. That's the show's webpage. And you can also join the So Much Pingle Facebook group to follow the show and interact with me and some of my guests and other cool herpsters. 
Now, I appreciate the email I get from folks uh, with feedback and guest suggestions, etc. And uh, I say this at the end of every show, and I really mean it. Uh, you can reach me directly via email at so pingle at gmail.com, and I would love to hear from you. And until we meet again, please take good care of yourselves, and don't forget to hurt better.